banging the bass. No, 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 no! Ah! Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Talk, the only show in the world featuring David Ladd. It's time to grease your weasel and do whatever yo pleasel, cause we're about to rock your 8-bit world. All right, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Coco Talk, episode 257. We've got a great show in store for you today. Are you ready? assembled the show is about to take place welcome to episode 257 of coco talk the world's leading live talk show featuring the tandy calor computer mc10 and dragon data systems computers and clones and compatibles and all that good stuff we got people here to talk about stuff we got stuff here to talk about people uh we got uh, all kinds of stuff so let's just jump in let's say hi to the panel top left hand corner rick Eulen is here hello rick Splash, folks. All right, from Coco Connect with one N.com, Rick Eulen, featuring fine peripherals, accessories, and upgrades for all kinds of computer type things. I'm your host, Stevie Stroh. Hello, hello. We have our resident Apple guy, Mark Overholzer, is here. Hello, Marco. Hello. Sorry, I'm choppy. Glad to be here. Our Game On segment dude, Ken Waters, Canadian Retro Things. How's it going, eh? Woohoo! Made it to the top row. Woohoo! Foreign correspondent and news anchor L. Curtis Boyle. How's it going, eh? Woohoo! Made it to the second row. Woohoo! Backup streamer and engineer Mark B. Mark Bosley's in the house. Hello. Alan Murphy, Exile in Paradise. Hello, hello. Yay, I made it out of bed. Woohoo! <laughs> this, guy br- this guy brings the joy and happiness to the Coco world. Ron Delvo is here. How you doing, Ron? End of the second row. Yay! Woohoo! And another Canadian, creator of many fine product and musical compositions, DeBruce Moore is here. Hello, DeBruce. Hey, just slipped into the third row. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of music, he's muted, but Brian, the music man, Shoebring is here. Hello, Brian. I'm not muted, but hello, everybody. Hello, hello. Brian's here. Last but certainly not least, the man who has the website called Coco Man. Dot biz. Jason, the Coco Man Riker is here. Hello, hello, Jason. I got a rock. <laughs> ah, 
And in the live chat, we are being greeted by people who are kind enough to spend their afternoon with us today. AC's 8-Bit Zone is here. David Craker. Mikey is here. Mark Siegel. Mark O. Jim Rye. Mark Overholzer. Dave and Sharon. That's Mr. Dave 6309. And so many more. Thank you all for being here. And good night, everybody. All right. So, um... We are here. Kevin Holloway is here. Kevin Holloway. Hello, Kevin Holloway. Earlier, before the show even started, Exile in Paradise was here. And Sixie Karen was here. Kevin was here. Canadian Retro Things is here. So many people here in the live chat. Thank you all for being here. We do not have a guest today, a special guest. We do not have an interview today. And that's okay. So what we will do is we'll go ahead and switch things around. And we'll go ahead and do our project updates and acquisitions um, at the top of the show, and then we'll get into everyone's favorite segment, um, the Game On results and Game On news and newsy newsy and snoozy newsy. Uh, Daniel's back. Hey, Daniel. Daniel joined us last night on our test call. Good to see you again. So going around the room, <clears throat> excuse me, Rick Euland, do you have a project update or acquisition? Something you want to talk about, story to share? Yeah, I guess something has happened this week. I now have two kinds of these, and I don't know why I can't... Oh, there we go. The scene has changed. So you may notice there is now a Coco 2 version of the keyboard fixer. Um, it'll be on the site in days as soon as I build a couple of them and make sure they work reliably and so forth. So that's fun. One good thing happened this week. And uh, I ran across this nice tech support document in case anyone needs some help from Seagate. Here's a uh, CFAX is number. That, is CFAX at all related <laughs> to WeFAX? Hmm. Uh, I don't know, but it caught my attention. <laughs> it, it's for weather over the ocean, I think, or something like that. <laughs> all right. And, so take a drink week. anyway. Take a drink anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, for those who might not be aware, go back to the previous picture of your keyboard thingies that you just showed us. Okay, um, these guys? Yeah, we're assuming everybody knows what this is, but tell us what this is again for somebody who might be new to the program or just like me never pays attention to anything. Okay, so the, uh, the Mylar on the Coco is really fragile and tends to break right where it comes out of the keyboard. And it's now gotten to the point where it sometimes just fails in the middle of the IR. So I've come up with this board that has physical switches and actual physical wires. So there's no mylar left anywhere. And uh, you just remove the, the metal plate, the mylar off the back, put this thing on. Try not to lose any springs because that would be kind of horrendous. And uh, throw your cocoa back together and you're done. So you turn your existing keyboard upside down take out a few screws, screw this back in, and it replaces the circuitry underneath the keyboard with all brand new stuff. And it's all physical stuff, so it's not like that little piece of plastic that goes bad. If 18 is a few, that's correct. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> the original keyboard had that mylar, that bendable thing, and it would you break all the traces. You could right. try painting them together with that uh, defogger paint or whatever, but it only works for so long, and it just doesn't work anymore. This is a nice, solid circuit board replaced version of it that right. doesn't... So so, so if you've got a Coco keyboard that just doesn't work anymore, this would go. This would be a replacement part for it. And the guts are all rugged and rigid, and the connection is nice and rigid too. So um, breathe new life into an old Coco keyboard. Failures are minimal with this one. 
Rick. Yes. Um, now, just to uh, mess with people, did you include the switch on the Coco Two board? <laughs> no, you'll you see it's a, it's a completely different thing. I had to remeasure all the keys and uh. redraw the board and change all this. It, it was a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. Just looking at the two on my desk and going, oh, they're pretty close. No, they ain't. I have a question for you too, Rick. Does this? I presume it does because I don't. I don't have one of the melted ones to find uh, if it's exactly the same. Lay it on the on the switches That's on the bottom. Really good question. I does it work on the melted versus the full travel keyboard on the Coco Two? That's that's a good question. I also don't have a melted one. To Ooh, try. I've got a melted keyboard. Maybe I'll have to pick one of those up and try it out. There was a version of keyboard. I, I don't remember which machine it went into. The one or the twos. They didn't have the metal plate on the back. They just had a hmm. uh, um, there was type a thing. Yeah, there was kind of a pre mylar um, Coco One board, wasn't there? Mm. Yeah, it had that brown board or something on the bottom. Yeah, I think it was a chiclet type, but but it wasn't. Yeah, made out of a. That was Coco One, from what I remember. <laughs> now, mentioned... one thing you should mention here too, Rick, on the Coco Three version, you've got the option of swapping keys around too, right? Oh, yeah, you can make control and alt the up and down arrow. That, therefore, you can play Coco 2 games a lot easier. Um, obviously, there's nothing like that to do on Coco 2, so I didn't. You, right. You'd mentioned springs. These, the keys aren't springs loaded, are they? They're, or, or what are the springs? Yeah, there's, um, yeah the, the way a Coco keyboard works, the, the key cap sits on a post. That post has a spring over it, so it bounces off of the board underneath the metal plate, whatever you got. got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's an arm that reaches off to one side that actually clicks the switch. So no matter how hard you smash that keyboard, you aren't smashing on the switches. You're just smashing on the metal plate or the plastic. So I it's pretty when nice I'm, to when I'm typing on my Coco 2 keyboard, and it, it's, it's quite bouncy, and it makes this ringing sound that's quite unique. Well, I mean, unique to my experience anyway. Always yeah, there's no parts typing in there. on a Coco when it makes a little... <laughs> It's like a reverberating in the case or something, little bouncy noises. I love it. <laughs> Audio yeah, feedback. They, well, they, they knew their audience. They put a solid metal plate under that sucker. So if you uh, got the game in a little hard, you weren't going to break it. <laughs> All right. Who else got an update or acquisition? At Ken Waters, did you have something you wanted to share? Oh, sure. All right. We'll spotlight you. So first off, I got my copy of Zero Hour. Beauty. But that's not the most important thing. Um, this isn't a new acquisition, but a while ago I bought a box of Coco stuff and I haven't really gone through it. There's some interesting documentation in here. So I've got a. Uh, oh, those are extended, neat. The quick reference. Yeah. Quick reference yeah. guide. Those so are neat. it shows everything. That's extended basic one. I saw in the Taylor and Amy show that they actually have the MC10, one of those. And uh, there's a letter here from Tandy. I'm assuming it has to do with something with an update to the thing because it talks about a bunch of different programs and uh, key changes in them, like checkers. Um, uh, they must have updated a ROM call or something. Audio like spectrum that. analyzer, micro painter, um, how things have changed. So, interesting. Hmm, I don't think I've ever seen that. What what keys changed? <laughs> Um, let's see. Like, is it an here. update to the ROM or is it an update to the actual cartridges themselves? I don't know. Um, so, MicroPainter and Audio Spectrum Analyzer may require that you hold down the Shift key when selecting options from the keyboard. 
Uh, for example, Popcorn Manual states that you press break to start the game. You may be required to hold down shift and then break. I've never had to huh. press break to start the game in Popcorn. I usually press the I fire button. I have no button. idea. But it's <laughs> from Tandy. There's no okay. date on it, though. So Interesting. It's documented. Yeah. Yeah, you should scan that and put yeah. that in the archive. I'd like to see that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely. And then, uh, ooh, the instruction manual for Dexter. Ooh. <laughs> does, it say, <laughs> oh, does it say open package and throw in garbage? <laughs> no, that's the predator one you're thinking of, Steve. Uh, you better go ahead and run that through the shredder and then put it in the archive. Some stuff from Where the World is Carmen San Diego. Okay. And uh, here is an old catalog. Ah, that, that was cool. That was the one that they never had out for the public to see. You had to ask for it. Yeah, Ooh. so it's got all the different program packs and stuff you can buy. For the adults or what? Because yeah. that included third-party stuff, too. Ooh. Yeah, so this is not, actually not from so. Bailey's Home Entertainment Center in Lebanon, M.O. Mo. Missouri? Whichever state Lebanon? That is. Lebanon? M.O.? Missouri? Missouri. Missouri. Yeah. Missouri. Yep. Missouri. Missouri. Oh, Lebanon. Yeah, Lebanon, Missouri. Okay. Lebanon, 430 yeah. South Jefferson. Okay. <laughs> don't know if that store is still there or not, but... Well, that's cool. Is anything like that in the archive is the other question, because I've never seen one of those either. The, uh, oh, the third, the third party catalog. <laughs> I mean, yes, yes. Well, okay. uh, flight simulator. No, not, not two, the Thexter manual. Yeah, flight simulator one and two. Nice. No, that's and flight simulator two. Both the nice. regular yeah, both... manual and the flight guide. Yeah, oh, okay, both, gotcha. Uh, flight simulator that's both two. part of flight sim two. Gotcha, nice. gotcha. And then um, an important note for the for release of it that uh, there's, I don't know. Yeah, there's special keys for the Coco version special of flight keys sim two. and programs you have to put in to do stuff. Yeah, that's the duplicate the DOS command if you only had disk extended basic 1.0. And then way more than I've ever wanted to know about uh, color logo. All right. <laughs> I've got that blue book. I don't have the orange one. Yeah, that orange one. I don't think I've seen that before. What does it say on the cover? That's the TRS-80 logo computer camp. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I think these are some things that might... That you might have to scan too then. Mm, I don't yeah, know if that's you got some article. archiving work ahead of you there, Mr. Waters. Oh, okay. Anyways, that was the most interesting stuff in there. Other than that, it was a bunch of manuals for the tape drive and stuff like that. So, Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing. And Al Curtis Boyle, anything from you? Uh, well, we've got an upcoming interview, but you'll be playing the bumper for we'll that play, later we'll on play in the show. We'll play a teaser clip for that. Okay. Mr. Uh, Murphy, anything you're working on you want to share? Uh, just been putting some updates to my uh, <clears throat> Nostromo wiki page and uh, posting up some other stuff on my wiki. And I noticed in the blog channel on Discord you had posted some blog updates to a few different things, right? Yeah, that's the ones. Okay, gotcha. I actually looked, I, I, <laughs> I forgot who I was talking to the other day, but like when it, when it comes to being on Discord, I typically look at two things. I look at our planning channel and I look at the Coco Talk lobby and then that's about it. So anything that happens outside of there, I don't really get a chance to look at too often because there's so much. And I will look at the game on results sometimes, but I actually did kind of poke around and I saw the blog channel and I saw you actually had posted a few links. So that's good to know. Um, I, you know, I'm, and I'm not trying to say this to like, pat ourselves on the back or anything like that. But I just think that, that this Discord server has become such a huge resource. It's being used, so not by me, but it's being used so much by so many people. There's just so much there. And it really, 
it's become you know a resource and a repository and, and everything and that's just like like a lot of aspects of this show just things we never expected to happen that have just happened that have just turned out to be a benefit to the community at large and so uh, i just love that and you know we have we have an update today on who's new to discord like people are joining all the time and there's so much stuff going on there um so yeah it's great thanks to discord thanks for everybody who's there and who's continuing to contribute and give us stuff to you know talk about and do and look at you know so so alan since i didn't put that in the news like because i knew you'd be on the show is there anything specific you want to say about what blogs you put up and what they covered um i put up some stuff about the mge file format and a little python viewer for linux that i wrote for it uh because i'm using that as the um like big nice title screen for Nostromo to kind of to include the box art from the original game in some form um, and uh, put a whole bunch of stuff up there on the Nostromo side I put up uh, the source breakdown and the Z80 assembly breakdown that uh, you know, that come off of the tape when you load it on the original machine and then I've got the index of all of the code modules that I've got so far <clears throat> and kind of what they're for and then I'll be filling those in as I go so that people can you know look at how each of those pieces work and steal what they need from them if there's anything useful cool I haven't had a chance to check it out myself yet but I'll have to alright very cool and now Ron Delvo, you've been busy this week on uh, the Facebooks, and you've been posting a lot of vintage uh, advertisements from Tandy products. Uh, would you want to share some of those with us today? Yeah, I got. Uh, I found this in my collection. It's called Apollo 18 Accolade, and it shows an astronaut floating above the moon. And that's a radio. Right, uh, that's a Tandy uh, product. Yeah, this is for the Tandy 1000. Oh, okay. From 1987, uh -huh. and it says, uh, you know, about President Kennedy saying, "Go forth and." And it says, uh, Accolade gives you the opportunity uh, to share the thrill and tension and exhilaration of going to the moon. And it's, uh, <clears throat> it was a dollar ninety-eight or dollar ninety-nine. There you are. Wow. And it's sealed. And I thought that was pretty cool. So it's Anybody ever play it? On their Tandy 1000? No, I don't have, no. I've never seen that before, but that's cool. Yeah. Then uh, I got this radio for my mom. It's a uh, Radio Shack. It also comes as a realistic and it's so darn cheap it barely plays anything good but, uh, <laughs> she has had one for years and she puts it under a pillow you know and um she says she wanted another one because she thought hers was starting to get old or it was getting static and stuff and i said sure so i ordered that like three months ago and it went to uh st louis and got lost and then they send it back to the guy who's, who uh, originally shipped it, and then he sent it again. And then it turned out it wasn't even working well. Ah. Oh, did, so, you buy it, did you buy it on eBay or something? Is that what it was? Yeah. Oh, okay. It was uh, Marketplace. Okay. It was $8 or okay. something. Yeah, crazy. So I'll share screen. So she was and... complaining that her radio was old, and so your solution yeah. was to replace it with another old with, radio. With the, another one that maybe they, <laughs> maybe it didn't work, you know, because it was <laughs> replaced with a non-working so model. Yes. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense, doesn't it? I don't know. Anyway, do, do, can you see? Do, uh, do, 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 do. Yes. Yeah, I'm gonna get rid yeah. of this here. Yeah, somebody is selling those advertisements as like they're printed on metal, so you can kind of frame yeah. them, and that's kind of what that is there. 
Yeah, uh, and it looks really sharp and clear and clean, yeah. even though it's got rust on the edges. Yeah, yeah. So but, it kind of has that vintage graded, yeah. um, um, distressed look to it. Yeah. Yeah, and um, they did a really good job of uh, putting the graphics on the TV. Yeah. Where you know it's tough to get a picture of that, and they did a nice job. There's other ones that don't go so well. Anyway, has anybody ever seen this? I saw it at uh, Rainbow Fest. Now, exactly what is it? I mean, you, you plug this kind of like a multi pack. Right? It's it's like a two slot multi pack. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, see see this cable. I mean, you got to put this into the slot on the side of your cocoa, and then it, this sticks right. outside of it. Right. Yeah. That way, they didn't have to make it all match and fit. You just huh. also put the thing in the cocoa and <clears throat> also wouldn't have to worry about it possibly separating and crashing. Yeah. Well, this is something that I I never really saw. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, it was cheaper than a multi-pack. Yeah. But... Quite a bit. The multi-pack at that time, I think, was $179. Yeah. I mean, the repack I did, I had less trouble with the cable between the Coco bus and the device than trying to keep a multi-pack plugged into the side of it. it... Al Hartman so... uh, says, uh, no, but I used to work for them. Mm. Spectrum Projects. <laughs> Spectrum Projects, yeah. Right. And here's a... <clears throat> I went through... Um, some of the old um, rainbows, and I'm just yeah. looking through and thinking, well, I never really paid attention to this ad before, but this is well done. Yeah. The artwork's kind of neat, and um, you know, someone mentioned that. Uh, yeah, that's they, Mike Lustig's company. He did uh, some other stuff for Computerware and a few other companies. Yeah, as well. So I wonder, you know, how much of this stuff is on the archive? All of it? Oh yeah, yeah all those yeah. are there. Desert okay. Patrol is like a Moon Patrol. It's just you're driving a Jeep instead of a space buggy. Ice Masters, yeah. Peng, yeah. Pengo. Yeah, Wacky um, Food is, uh, that's not like Food Fight. Is that the one where you're the mouth? No, Food Wars, Food Fight. Wacky Food's the other one. Uh, the it's like the semi-graphics one where you're eating the, you have to avoid the purple pickle or something like that, or I don't remember. Yeah, and this also brings up the... Uh, you you got to shoot pears. I can't remember what the arcade version is called. Mm. Yeah, someone mentioned that uh, um, they passed some kind of law to make it so that model cars would look like they do from the box. In other words... Uh, you know, they don't want you to see it, uh, try and buy a little model car that looks so much better than uh, what it actually is. And it's the same thing you would think they would have done the same thing with, uh, you know, computer games, because I'm certain. Truth in advertising. Right, yeah, 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 the, uh, the, usually the advertisement would sometimes. Well, they're showing you the legitimate artwork from the, uh, the software well, manual or something, and, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even today. You will very occasionally see not actual gameplay at the bottom of a trailer, but right. not always. Now there's one I recognize. Yeah, yeah. This this doesn't never get started. large well, but um, it's cool how it's first. In fact, uh, the little um, PC, the little pocket PC computer, one. like the calculator, yeah, the original yeah. pocket computer, yeah. which yeah. I I never found useful at all. I've had a couple of them, and they basically last a year. That, that's is that the 1981 computer catalog? I don't know. Hard I remember I had that one at one point, and I still had Radio Shack catalogs with the Canadian prices in them. Mm -hmm. Of I lost all those in a move three decades back. Mm -hmm. All right, and then um, Canyon Climber. Yeah. With fake colors, but see still. the prices. Yeah. Uh, and then um, here's a neat one. Stars. This is uh, an astronomy one. Which I, I've never seen. I guess I yeah. This one we are missing most of these on the uh, the archive. Illum Design was a company out of Quebec, 
And I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, but he did something called Motion Picture Programming, MPP, which is to do animations and basic. Huh. And he got quite famous. Lonnie Falk was completely taken with this. He was hyping it up every chance he had in 81, 82. But then the guy passed away, oh. I think in 83 or 84. So the company just stopped. But uh, they had some pretty pretty advanced for the time graphic animation stuff. And I, unfortunately, I don't have any of this stuff myself. Most of it's not in the archive. I've never seen that spider attack game, for example. But Color Show was the one that kind of was the main driver for them. That was the thing that Lonnie kept typing up in the early issues of Rainbow. Oh. Arnold Pouch, I think, was his name, if I remember. That just popped cool. in my head. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, I'd like to see that Stars one, for sure. Yeah. And then uh, there's this one. <laughs> At first, this does not look well. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like that one caveman game we had. Yeah, yeah. your wife and take her to the cave. Yeah. <laughs> he's done, done that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I cut it out and I put it on, and I was all excited about the Ram Charger upgrade. <laughs> you know, thinking it was uh, the guy's the Mopar guy, you know, and he, and he thought of using that name. And and then when after it was up, and I went and looked at it again, I saw this, and I thought, oh, geez, that's that's not well at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is one of Spectral Associates' earlier ads. Uh, the first one of the first ones, I think they had had actually artwork in it because they had a couple before that in eighty micro that were just little text bits. Yeah. Uh, so this came out probably late eighty one, early nineteen eighty two. If I remember, it's back when Space Invaders first came out, Space War. But, you know, Ghost Gobbler wasn't out yet, and Keys of the Wizard wasn't out yet, et cetera. Madison Minotaur, of course, eventually got sold by Tandy themselves, but this is back when Spectral sold on their own. They also did Flex, which I, does that mention on this one? They had their own assembler. Um, they had some basic games they used to sell, like Star Traders and a few others. I can't read the ad from here, so I can't tell if yeah, this is hard. one of the ones that has that. And then they had, a, they had a RAM upgrade that required not even opening your case. They'd actually put the RAM in the cartridge port, and you'd oh. plug it in and just power it up, and voila, you had 32K if you had a 4 16K Cocoa. That's cool. Anyway, so. Yeah, that's neat. <laughs> that's weird. Good old advertisements. Here's the rainbow. Yeah. The colors, anyway. And um, two drives. Yes. Yeah, and then uh, our favorite guy. Isaac Asmanoff. Yeah, and this this is a really clear ad. It's really nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember this one, too. <laughs> yeah. This was in a whole bunch of magazines back in the day, not even just Coco. Right. There's our really bl ones. Black Beauties. Black Beauties with, with, the, with the metal sticks, yeah. Yeah. Classics. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah, so stuff like this I used to stare at and think, oh, oh yeah. I loved it. Because I had the gray case before. before Look at that, $259 for the 64K yeah. Coco, too. That was a... Wow. Yeah, and that's the original melted keyboard version. Yeah. Yeah, and this TV was digital. It didn't have any his, uh, you know, buttons to select. You know, would have had a readout. Um, LED, no, yeah. No, no rotary knobs, you know. So that was a uh, upgrade. I remember that ad, there. yeah. That one I remember. Yeah. yeah. There's the fast the, the, uh, the, 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 the <laughs> hand-me-down modem from the TRS-80 Model 1. <laughs> yeah, we got some old crap from this other system. You know, we'll make a cable and plug it into the Coco. <laughs> it worked. I had yeah. a friend who had one of those. Yeah. In 82, this came out. That's the Model 3 and Coco side-by-side. Side. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. And that's uh, really, really nice pictures on both. Yeah. yeah. Here we go, a Christmas one. And this is not uh, put in the very well. You know, it's... Yeah. Yeah, that'll sell a thousand units. Let's let's yeah. showcase some text. <laughs> I, like, I like how that particular one actually kind of sneak peeks the T1 VDG that would come out years later because it's actually got the full green border and no black. Oh border. yeah, 
All right. True. Didn't even come out to what 84, 85. It's something 85. Yep, I think that's true. Hmm. Yep. And in this one, uh, Tandy computer like products. Generic, yeah. yeah. There's that big honking hard drive for five grand too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and they, Which worked on the Coco with their sassy adapter card. Yeah. Yep. I still solely at the adapter. Yeah, I remember that ad there too. That, the, that one I remember with different prices. Yeah, <laughs> with uh, improper colors for Polaris. We we never had pink and sky blue on, on the Coco. But uh, uh, well, if you adjust the tint control, you could. <laughs> well, they had license back then to change things and sure. make it look appealing. Yes. I had that 64k cocoa. Uh, that was yep. I had that. That was my second cocoa. I went from the silver to the to the white. That's full size. That's my cocoa too. Up under, where uh, Nick Morentes lives. Right. That's, yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, the PAL version was uh, that's called the cocoa too. Yep. Christmas. What's, look at what look at how white program it was that thing using. What was huh? that, Brian? What was the uh, program for doing the circuits? Oh. Um, yeah, that it was called the Imagine Imaginary CAD program. It was an extended basic program from what I remember, wasn't it? Oh, it was yeah? just some yeah. little demo thing. It doesn't mention on there, does it? Focad. Focad. Yeah. It's using <laughs> right. that Focad product. <laughs> <laughs> this is a color computer too, and yeah, it looks shooting um, gallery. Yeah, you know, the way they shot it, it's it's so bright white. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're not used to seeing yep. it that color. And they didn't have like, nowadays. They no. didn't have Photoshop <laughs> yeah. back then. To... Yeah, that's it, guys. Thank you very much. All Visit right. your uh, Ron's garage on occasion. See what's happening. Roger that. Thanks for sharing, Ron. Yeah, Ron's yep. always got something cool going on on Facebook. Um, and if you see behind Roger's, uh, Ron, it looks like the actual garage door. Yes, Ron's I'm actually garage. in the garage now. I've been Jeez. in the garage for a couple of weeks. Oh, really? I have oh, more stuff set up. Like somebody asked uh, how many cocos you have uh, set up. I've got seven of them. So, wow. Yeah, <laughs> When's she letting you back three. in the house, Ron? How many no, arms do you have? Just study curiosity. Not, I'm not going in there no more. <laughs> <laughs> I've been booted to the real garage. We've been joined by Simon Jonason, the madman. Hey, Simon, how are you doing? Not too bad, not too bad. Anything yeah, I, anything new going on with you? We're kind of doing updates and acquisitions right now. Any projects you're working on? Anything going on in your world? Acquisitions. Acquisitions. You're going to kill me for this one, but here's an acquisition. Okay. Oh, nice. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Beauty. That's the MC10's uh, little brother. <laughs> I have one too, Simon. Hey, that's what I learned basic on. So oh, is that the original fun. Sinclair one, Simon, or is that a Timex version? No, no it's, it's, it's a ZX. It's an original ZX one. Yeah. Made in England. Yep. Oh. What else is going? What else is going on in your world? What kind of mad things are you doing? Uh, not a lot of cocoa actually, because uh, too much real life stuff going on. I've been helping Paulie T a little bit. Okay. So I've just been idling, idling. I'm playing with a music player because Paulie T was about with his. Um, his new game, you know, the um, it's like a puzzle game. Cocoa Bun. Yeah, And he was on about, well, I want to have a fixed frame rate, so I want like a, a V-Sync IRQ going on together with the uh, H-Sync IRQ or the uh, timer IRQ for um, sound effects and stuff like that. And I said, well, yeah, fine, I'll just do it for you. <laughs> so I programmed it the other day. Nice. 
But apart from that, yeah, just to, uh, yeah. Okay, well, it's good to see you. Been a while. Well, yep. And it looks like Rick Ewan's got some beard competition going on. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you, DeBruce? Anything you want to update us on, or are we just going to save it all for Coco Fest? Or? Oh, no, I, yeah, I can update a little bit. Okay. I have a, 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 a misacquisition. Actually, I tried to get one of those Toshiba wireless SD cards. Okay. okay. You know, you did a... a the thing on that right, right. yeah and of course hard to find anywhere uh, i did find one in china um they shipped it a month ago and they finally realized that it's gone so supposedly they're going to send me another one the idea was i was trying to get it to speed my development so i could have stuff ready for coco fest ah and of course now uh, it's delayed the speed up thing is delaying everything yeah so, so by <laughs> uh, you know by the time it gets here i'll probably be having to get in the car and drive to the fest so we'll, we'll see what happens there uh but you know, you mentioned earlier about Discord and just the surprise, uh, you know, the surprise value of that. Uh, I, I'm there all the time, getting technical help these days, and it's just it's it is amazing the amount of uh, help and direction and ideas that come out of there. So my my latest thing is I'm I'm working on my game and I'm realizing I got two floppy disks, and they're practically full. It's like oh no, well I you know what's the big deal? Just add a third one turns out on the SDC you can only mount two local floppy disks the other two slots have to be driver uh, drive wire you can turn that off though you can say no there's a command no drive you can, you one. can say no you can but yeah. it doesn't change drives three or uh, two and three but only you can't put anything that's right you can't put anything to oh so you couldn't have like a mount multi you couldn't mount multi four four discs like you could on a real Coco. No, right, or, three, or like you could two. on VCC, or you know. Oh, okay. So, so, so I'm I'm scratching my head, and then some guys are going, "Well, what about a a, a hard drive? Because you can pack floppies onto a hard drive. You can do that through um, HDB DOS. Yeah, HDB DOS. You know the the drive wire communication thing. Oh, okay. Well, and and SDC has support for that, and um, Tim Linder's jumping in there with ideas, and Dave six three zero nine is in there, and and there and and. Uh, uh, Henry Reitfeld sending me an image, and all these things almost got there. Almost. They wouldn't quite work on the SDC. You couldn't uh, mount, still couldn't mount more than two images, uh, two flo individual floppies. I could have got um, a hard drive, or a, yeah, a virtual hard drive with a whole bunch of floppies on it, and you just keep swapping them into drive zero. You just, you could flip between them okay. if you wanted. Okay, right. right? But drive one, that wouldn't work, and drive three and four out. So I couldn't have more than one disc on it at a time. That would be possible, except the whole project is not built around that at this stage. Right, I mean, right. be a lot of retooling. So what I did end up going with, and it looks like it's working, and it's a bit of a hack, but it looks stable, is um, you, can, uh, you can, if you're in all RAM mode, which my project is, you're in all RAM mode, you can actually put a couple of pokes in to um, enable double-sided floppies. So, fl disk zero, if you put the poke in, the flip side of disk zero becomes disk two. Now, we still got a problem on the SDC because disk two isn't accessible, right? Well, if you do this poke and you turn that off, suddenly it's there. You can see the back side of disk zero. Even on the SDC. On the SDC, yeah, that was it. So I, there's my solution. I, I can actually, but I have to use uh, double-sided formatted and then, and then 
so initially I have to run a little program that will back up that disk 2 onto the flip side of, of drive 0. Once that's done though you're good so uh, so it's just one little extra step but it solved it and that's sort of what I spent the week on. Now I gotta get back to uh, getting the game tuned and, 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 and workable for uh, you know, so are we all gonna, are we all going to need a 64 gigabyte SD card for this game? <laughs> oh no no no! Like three floppies, right? It's that's oh. it, that's it, right? Yeah, okay. no, it's not, no. But you will need a 64K like all RAM mode ah. uh, to do it. And um, and I'm and I'm looking forward to running the demo at the fest and observing because um, you know it's all about gameplay, right? This stuff is like these games. You'd have to have an imagination. For any kind of 8-bit game right <laughs> like it's like look at this graphic behind me you got to have an imagination to think that's is a, this is a you know some sort of scary tree right it, um, it looks scary but, yeah and, but it's it's the gameplay and so I'm, I'm interested in seeing what as different people play it it's gonna i know it's gonna give me some ideas oh well that could you know and, and sort of tweak it all and all that and then uh and then you know after the fest get it ready for production so that's my update that's cool. Well, we're looking forward to that, to the world premiere, and we'll run the teaser clip for that project again today when we take our commercial break. Cool, thanks. All right. Cool. Awesome innovation. Uh, Brian, the music man, Shoebring, anything new and exciting with you going on? Updates, acquisitions, stories to share? Well, the only thing that's been really going on is uh, look right over here at my shoulder, Right there, where my thumb is. Looks like an, uh, um, a vinyl player. An old player. record player yeah. that I used yeah. to have. Um, you know, since my dad passed, and that was been cleaning out his place, and he actually st stored, without my knowledge, stuff that I used to have at the old old house that I had left there, and I thought was lost in um, a flood, but he actually had stored it for me. So I got a new LP, you know, new record player, shall I say. Um, techniques and just been my wife and i have gone on shall we say a buying spree for lps neat neat i was just going to ask brian where are you going to test it with that rainbow flexi disc where they had the three programs on it on their second anniversary issue you could try it on that see if you can load off of it uh oh wait oh you just you just uh, lost me there what was a uh, there was like a little uh, thin uh record that came in a rainbow magazine and you could and you could play the record and it had like software so it was like the the vinyl version of a cassette to do a c lowdown oh okay right you so know, you that could, might be interesting so if was you, it a 45 or 33 it was it's like was, it was a flexi disc there's old plastic black plastic right. flexible bendable disc. on the label and yeah yeah july 1983 rainbow if you need to look it up july 1983 i'll have to see what i've got here yeah and don't that might be too much <laughs> Don't bend it too much, right? There's, oh, there's three oh. programs on it, if I remember correctly. Even has hmm. a little part where it says place a quarter here so it weighted down so it wouldn't bounce too much. Yeah. <laughs> I had like, that one. I remember that one. I had that. Yeah. yeah. That was cool. So <laughs> yeah, I have to try that. Brian, Maybe I'll bring it over to the fest. Yeah, I wanna Maybe. I wanna thank you, Brian, because I had inquired to you how you had that scroll going on in your OBS and you kinda of pointed me in the right direction. And so yep, I don't, I I don't know if you noticed that I've got a kind of a scroll on ours now too, thanks to your uh, pointing me there, right? Like the little yeah, I, little I see stock you got two and the scroll going across and one at the top. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you uh, no. you put me on the path, sir. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I've been 
Oh, I also put also play with some of your filters for your audio because you can set up your um the gate so that you don't get uh, noise. I tried that and then um and then and I think it was affecting how it's coming through on the stream. I, I tried yeah, that. Yeah, uh, for your just for your microphone, you don't need it for your other for your other sources. Yeah, no, so much. yeah, no, I know. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that offline. But I had tried yeah, that whatever. once before because I even like Googled that and found a YouTube video and the guy recommended like three filters and blah blah blah, whatever. But yeah, cool. But thanks for that, because now I have a cool-looking scroll, and I like the scroll. Very, uh, yay, yay. It's very Fox Newsy, you know? So, uh, A rising tide lifts all boats. That's it. So, uh, Jason the Cocoa Man Rikert, anything new in your world? Any new products? Any teasers for Cocoa Fest? Well, uh, I, I, I can talk a little bit here. Um, I brought my own lower third today. I, I guess I can, I can scroll. <laughs> I can scroll. Do, do the scroll. That's practical effects, folks. They, they don't do them like that anymore. It's all digital these days. So <laughs> the lowest budget special effects possible. There we go. Right. And uh, I am I am getting ready for Cocoa Fest. So um, and I will and my plan is to bring some of the uh, as yet to be named uh, more compact, uh, high resolution enhanced high resolution adapter bring cool. a few of those with me and a few of the uh joey high res and that stuff there it's just going to depend on what i can build and what i can get parts for and all that fun stuff um, you know supply chains are pretty screwed up right now but that's uh that's about it just hoping to go to hoping to have stuff ready for coco fest and how long is it the coco fest what about a month now? yeah may 14th and 15th yeah we're we're getting dangerously close yeah are you going to have it so we can see your Dodge journey if we go to the Cocoa Fest and see all the places where you, uh, you know, did your um, on the road? Uh, I, I may. Uh, that's actually going to depend. Uh, it may be in the shop at that time. We're not. Uh, oh, we'll see. But I do have a scary tree. Uh, <laughs> not a uh, cup of douchery i remember that <laughs> you're just jealous <laughs> well yeah yeah <laughs> beauty beauty yeah um cool so have we gone around has everybody done their update and their acquisition that's mark bosley has one mark b anything no Okay, so I do have one project update as well, which is somewhat Cocoa-related, but it is more related to our audience and our panel members, too, because um, we all have a variety of interests outside of the world of the Calore computer as well. We do? Uh, well, a lot yeah. of us do. A lot of us do. Now, what kind of life is that? Right. So <laughs> a long time ago, when we, were, when we did our first kind of after or kind of uh, offshoot show when we when we started Coco Talk After Dark that became the first kind of spin-off from Coco Talk and we had a lot of fun of Coco Talk After Dark and we and Coco Talk After Dark just started straying into a lot of different topics too that were not necessarily Coco related and I was like man we need to do more of this and we need to do shows talking about other computers that aren't just Cocos. We need to do shows talking about geeky stuff that are just are not Coco related as well because we all kind of just love talking about stuff. And so I was excited about that idea. And for whatever reason, um, this never we never actually followed through on that threat. So I have done that now. I've started my first official real podcast that is a general audience type podcast. And I'll bring up the um, I'll bring up the thing for that. But this is the website for it, and the, the podcast is called Culture Goes Pop, and it's going to be talking about 
pop culture, who names it, who name, who you name it, who knows, right? So here's the little kind of synopsis I came up with. Um, from nostalgia to now, from geek to chic, we'll cover everything from video games, movies, TVs, current events, music, social media, social issues, and more. And it is an actual podcast. It's audio. Um, it is already up on Amazon and Anchor and Apple, Google coming soon, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and it's surprisingly easy to get uh, to get a podcast on the air. And um, and so this is kind of happened because of a kind of a co-host that a friend of mine who a guy's been interning with me and we've been doing like a lot of uh, long car rides and having all kinds of geeky conversations and I was like man we really got to uh, we should be recording these you know these things that we're talking about and we should make this a podcast and the idea is um, it's going to be an actual audio podcast that's the focus like right now Coco Talk it's a it's a video it's you know it's two or three hours it's stream of consciousness and then we just throw the audio up as a podcast it's kind of like a afterthought this is a forethought where it's going to be audio driven and hopefully you know bite-sized nuggets of maybe hour-long episodes probably weekly maybe sometimes more than weekly um, but it's we can talk about anything at this point and I know the, our, our audience members have lots of interest outside of the color computer. And I know our panel members do. And, and I even know some of our guests. We've interviewed guests with what they do are, um, are, are of interest outside of just the Coco. You know, like Taylor and Amy. We interviewed them and their YouTube channel is not just Coco related. They do all kinds of stuff. So I would like to take a lot of the content we already have of certain interviews in um, – certain guests that we've already had and just re-air those as an episode. Um, and and because uh, so there's just so much of that, you know, like the Randy Kindig interview would be a good one because he's a vintage computing podcast, not just Cocoa podcast, right? Taylor and Amy come to mind. Um, a long time ago, we did an interview with Jerry Buckner. And then recently we did like Glenn Dahlgren talking about his two novels and things like that. So I think there's a lot of episodes we've already done and interviews we've already done in Cocoa Talk that I can re-air, kind of recycle for this so you can listen to just that segment um, just an audio format um, and then uh, we want to talk about new things so we'll be having like after shows where we'll talk about what's streaming on Netflix and on you know all these different things and what what movies are coming out so we'll talk about new stuff and we'll talk about old stuff talk about whatever so um, hopefully if you like this format of geeking out on things we'll be able to geek out on a lot more things so definitely appreciate if people could um, Subscribe to the podcast and start listening to the podcast. We've got one official episode out and, and more to come. Um, so that's all I have to say about that. It's Culture Goes Pop, the podcast, culturegoespop.com. And we got all kinds of social media. I got a Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter, all those, you know, things you got to have to do those kind of things. Um, and I'm looking forward to um, getting more of us on the panel on there talking about things that we enjoy outside of the world of Coco, too. And I know Alan Murphy is definitely going to be one of them because he loves a lot of sci-fi stuff. So I'm really looking forward to getting deep into stuff with Alan on an episode. And so if any guy, anybody who wants to come up with an idea for, for, for a topic, let me know and we'll, we'll make it so. Right. So that's my project. That's my side project. And that's all I have to say about that. Um, are we ready to take a commercial break and then move on into the game on results segments? And I need to potty break too. So I think what I'll do is I'll play a long commercial first so I can go potty. And then we'll play a couple of our short commercials, including a teaser of an upcoming interview that we're going to have with a Coco uh, dude. All right. So let's find a stock commercial break we can run. How about, how about um, 
Um, the real bargain commercial. We'll go ahead and do that one with rising entertainment costs. That's a real bargain. So we're going to run that one, and we'll be back in a couple minutes. Hi, I'm Kieran Anscombe, author of XRAW, and your brain is resolving sensory input into Coco Talk. And now, these messages. It's a Radio Shack Merry Christmas. This year, I needed to give a real family pleaser. Honey, please help me with this budget. How about a new game, Dad? Please. And I found it. Radio Shack's Color Computer 2. On sale for just $99.95. It entertains, educates, manages. It's expandable and affordable. Now that really pleases me. The Color Computer 2. Sale price for Christmas. Only at Radio Shack. At GSoft, we make games for the TRS-80 Color Computer, TRS-80 MC-10, and Dragon Computers. Our basic games cover the range of genres from arcade, to text adventures, to simulations, to 3D dungeon crawls. This is our latest puzzle game from Japan, Fruit Panic. So come on and drop by our website and download our latest games. Tired of your color computer art input device being low res? Joey has you covered again. Switch between three joysticks or mice. Select the left or right port on your Coco. No more swapping joystick ports. Switch between standard and high resolution mode. Supports the Tandy and the Max high resolution mode. Order yours today at cocoman.biz. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. Legend says, when the moon is full, if you go out in the country by the lake and whisper the name of Nick Marota three times, his spirit will appear and he will grant you a product idea. Radio Shack has a great gift idea for the whole family. Fast action TV games and their own sale. Get this six game model for $29.95 or the four game model for $21.95. With rising entertainment costs, that's a real bargain. You play hockey, tennis, squash, and more. Easy to hook up and great family fun that lasts all year long. The sale price TV games. Only at Radio Shack, a Tandy company. Hi, I'm Terry Steen, author of Balloon Fire and other amazing games on the color computer. And you're listening to Stevie Stroh on Coco Talk. Hi, Retro Tech Heads. Data Soup here. You're watching Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and proudly Patreon sponsored by RetroTechTime.com. would like to thank our patrons who sponsor our program. So our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Alan Huffman, Alan Murphy, Blair Ledoux, Bowden Aaron, 
Brendan Donaghy, Brian Weasler, Brian Walsh, Karen Anscombe, D. Bruce Moore, Daddy Burrito, Daniel Williams, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Jay Style, Ken Reichert, Malfunk, Michael Pitsley, Michael Rayburn, OG Hugo, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Retro Tech Time, Rick Eulin, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tim Thayer, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom Heron, Tom S., Tony C., and William Athen. Thank you ever so much, patrons. It's time for everyone's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord This Week? Jeff. Hi there, Jeff here. Back in the day, up until the late 90s, I was doing some mid-level basic 09 experiments and some stuff with the OS9C compiler and the RMA assembler. I started with an old gray, secretly 64k Coco, that Bob Vanderpaul put the gates into, so I could use all the factory RAM. Uber Geek. Hi all. Corey here. I'm into collecting and emulating and tinkering with mostly Tandy computers. I really like and own the Model 100, and wish I owned a Model 200. Also, just grabbed a Tandy FD1400. I grew up on a Coco 2 and then 3. Still waiting for the right time to either do a FPGA Coco kit or locate a working setup. Fruit, Loop. Hi, I'm Dan. I have enjoyed programming with the Coco 3 since 1988. Most recently I put Tim Hartnell's game, Searching for Daryl, on the Color Computer Archive. Lil Yeem. Hi all, my name's Say Eem, I'm an undergrad CS student just trying to learn more on 6809 assembly, for one of my upcoming courses. I found out about the Discord server through the YouTube channel, where I was learning so much from. I thought asking questions about programming related to 6809 here might prove helpful. The previous bios were edited for time's sake. Thanks to, Melly, Boysontech, Paul Fiscarelli, Eric Canales, the Glenside Color Computer Club, Terry Stage, and the Coca Talk patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. At discord.cocatalk.live. For many a year, peace has reigned throughout the realm. In the forest, nothing but ruins of an ancient fortress remain to fuel the myth of the evil wizard. Tales of your ancestors' quest are met with laughter. Mockery follows your warnings. But you know what awaits. This is uh, Terry Steen, author of uh, Coco games like uh, Grey Lady, Balloon Fire, Gunfighter, and uh, Miss Pack. And I'll be on the uh, Coco Talk show live April 23rd at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. 
Hey, this is uh, Terry Steen. I'm the author of a bunch of Coco games like Balloon Fire, Grey Lady, Gunfighter, Miss Pac-Man. And uh, I'm going to be on the uh, Coco Talk show on... Uh, it, I knew I was going to screw up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, maybe we should just cancel the whole thing. Um, Take two. Hi, this is Terry Steen. I'm the author of uh, a lot of Coco games like uh, Balloon Fire, Grey Lady, uh, Gunfighter, uh, Miss Pac-Man, and uh, I'm going to be uh, on the Coco Show April 23rd at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. We're not the Coco and, uh, Show. We're Coco Talk. <laughs> oh, sorry. Really, yeah, that's a different show. Coco Show today, but <laughs> third time's the charm. All right, we are back after our commercial break and our potty break. It's in the union contract that Rondovo gets a potty break. Uh, we have to honor that um, or face Teamsters, and we're just not we're not ready for that on a Saturday. Um, so yeah, that was our little teaser. Terry Steen, author of Balloon Fire, Gray Lady, and so many more Coco games, is going to be with us live. He's also the inspiration, which we shall, we probably should have put that in the teaser. He's the inspiration behind the game Nightmare Highway. He lived the Nightmare Highway. We are just playing the game version of that. He is the real-life person who experienced real-life Nightmare Highway. And when I say Nightmare Highway, you say... Nightmare Highway. There you go. So he'll be our guest April 23rd, right, Curtis? Yep, correct. That's uh, not, not this weekend. It's not, is it, is it next weekend or the weekend after that? I can't Week, do math. Weekend after. So two weeks from now, look forward to Terry <laughs> Steen, prolific author, all around wonderful human being. You can't say enough good things about Terry. Love that man. All right. So A destroyer of couches. Destroyer of couches. Yes. God bless his heart, huh? Bless <laughs> his heart. Yes. All right. So we are ready to roll into the results of this week's Game On Challenge. Uh, I have picked from the uh, endless list of greatest hits. We're gonna we're gonna start off with a with a Coco thoughts, and then we'll take it from there. Here we go. And now, Coco thoughts. By Samuel Gines. In Florida, when the temperature drops below 50 degrees, residents think they have been thrust into a real-life game of Ice Master. All right, everybody, get ready for the game on results with Canada's own Canadian Retro Things, Ken Waters. How do we do this week, Ken? What were those results? Welcome, everybody, to the results of this week's Coco Talk Game On Challenge, where we played the Contras. There were a total of 16 players. We had Rich N with 12,300, Joshua, 14,500, Kieran, 15,300, Mark B, 16,700. Mr. Dave 6309, 17,000. Henry, 17,100. Sloopy Malibu, 66,300. Nice. Buck Owens, 76,900. Jim Rye, 81,400. Sabhead, 81,600. Canadian Retro Things, 138,900. Wow. 
Curtis Boyle, 141,900. Redbeard, 218,650. David Craker, 224,600. Eric Omont, 225,400. And the number one score this week was... Dun, da, da, da. Tasman, Tasman with 302,700. Thanks, everybody, that played this week, and we will see you next week. Tasman's becoming a force to be reckoned with. As soon as you he see that... Uh, is. As soon as you see Buck Owens' list, and it's and it's in the list, <laughs> it's like, okay, he did not win this week. Okay. So uh, congratulations, Tasman, and, and some really good scores. Those scores are yeah, really getting up really there. Yeah, some really good scores. Um, I, I had a quick look through some magazines. I don't know. Was there anything even published when this game came out for Coco Magazines, Curtis? Uh, World of Six to Eight Micros would have been going, but they didn't have high score lists, so you wouldn't have seen yeah. them. So, yeah, there, didn't, so. didn't get any articles or anything like that. So um, although this game did have some uh, interesting history about its uh coming out didn't it curtis uh yeah it was originally meant to be released in 1991 in fact you'll see some of the copyright notices i think the main graphical one actually says that and that was when doug maston who's actually in our discord uh was doing it by himself and he was a teenager in high school and it just got to be too overwhelming of a project for him so he just he had to stop or he'd go insane and then jeff steidel who did photon and graphic express ended up finishing it up a couple of years later in 1993 just to get it out the door and glenn dahlgren's talked about that when we've interviewed him about it so basically, it had a two-year span before it finally got actually released. And um, but I gotta say, it looks really good. So for a teenager in high school to even start a game like this, is, yeah, and ambitious too. I mean, he's got yeah. hardware scrolling. He's got real digitized, not only sound effects but digitized music effects. Yeah, he's got like drums and everything else, and he's got three voices playing at once. And like, yeah. it's a really ambitious product. It's probably the best music i've heard on a coco 3 game that plays while the game is playing because it's not just your standard you know organy music that we're used to or even you know more advanced organy music like photon it's right percussion with drums and the whole shebang so yes it was an excellent uh version actually i've, I've actually have to admit i've never played like the nintendo version i but uh yeah i can imagine this is quite comparable the first screen is very similar to the nintendo version even the title screen is similar to it mm-hmm. as well um, yeah, it plays very similar to the uh, Nintendo version, also. Hey, oh, Sloopy has joined us. We've got Sloopy Malibu here. Hey, Sloopy. Yes. Yeah. The later levels go off, though. They they start doing. He starts doing their own thing. I don't know if that was Doug's design or if that was Jeff's or a combination of both. But the the later levels get quite different. I remember uh, Stevie. You remember the Mike and Kate show? They were doing yeah reviews of every Contra's game ever made yeah. for any system. And they, mm-hmm. I think you were the one who pointed out to them that this one existed, if I remember correctly. Or they might have just found my video or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, basically, find- they they were getting surprised when they started getting the late levels. Like, this isn't what the Nintendo version does. And then the the ending scene when you're actually finishing it off is completely different than any other Contra's game out there. And they were quite surprised and tickled by that one. So and they actually have a video if you guys want to see the playthrough right from beginning to end to where you, when you win the game and get the credits. Scrolling up the screen, you can look up their their channel on YouTube. Was it a, an official port? Like, was it a licensed version? No, no, it's a clone. Oh, that Sun that's, that's it, well, funny. it's like I said, the levels get quite different. So it's it's not it's a clone for the first level. The first level is pretty well identical to the Nintendo version, but after that, it starts getting more and more different. So, well, third party versus official, I guess, is a better answer to the question. Yeah, right. It's a third party. 
And from what I remember, I only played it a couple times. I'm, I'm, I actually discovered this game by listening to the Coco Crew podcast. I remember Neil did a game review on it and talked it, talked it up. I'm like, oh, that sounds really cool. I had to try it. And I did it. Um, but from what I remember, I don't know if some of the power-ups don't work or something like when you go no, to switch they weapon. Don't all, they, you only can um, have the uh, machine gun power-up. The okay. other power-ups are there, but they don't do anything. Okay. They just give you so points. That looks like something that was incomplete in okay. the game. Yes. Yeah, there's a few not. things like when when Jeff Style took it over, basically Glenn just said, you know, get it as close, you know, finish as much as you can. We'll just want to get it out the door. And uh, there's a couple things. One, the power ups, they didn't finish those. And number two, Jeff was actually producing this kind of in a vacuum at his own place, and he finished it off without having another player to play test it with. So the two player simultaneous version actually has some bugs every once in a while. It'll get, it'll get locked up, like the graphics will stop, the music will keep playing, and. Uh, it actually does lock up. I've hit that myself playing against my brother and some friends. So mm. a word of warning for those trying the two players simultaneous, there is some bugs in there. And Jeff said, I did manage to get a hold of him years and years ago. And he had said that he had nobody to play test with, even see if those bugs existed. <laughs> so, Unfortunately. Yeah. What's this friends you're talking about, Curtis? I don't know that word. <laughs> well, we'll get into that when we get into the uh, Tim and AJ bits later on. <laughs> But that is, you know, that was what was kind of neat about um, video games of the past is that if you were going to play with another person, they physically had to be there. And you both sat on the same couch or in the same room or something. And so you really had that connection of playing together. I mean, now it's all online and it's still good. Um, but there was something neat about literally sitting next to your friend playing a game, either cooperatively or competitively, you know. And I think Yeah, we, you could reach over and knock the joystick out of their yeah, head. Right? They're doing too oh, good. Yeah. So we've lost that human element a little bit now in our multiplayer. How many times you got to shoot that damn thing before it goes away? That like, you have to kill the two cannons the first. first. Oh, yeah. okay. So I was gonna say he's been so shooting. The, he's been there. shooting the crap yeah. out of that one. And it's not. It's not dying. <laughs> I have to say myself, like there's certain techniques at certain parts of each of the levels you use that you can make it much better chance that you don't die and get through the level faster. And I'd forgotten quite a few of them. There's a few when I, I played on the live stream for a bit too. There's a few I only figured out at the very end of the live stream. Oh, that's how you do it. I have totally forgotten. No, so I probably could do a bit better now. But uh, I know Paul Thayer, who joined us on the stream, has actually completed the game. Uh, obviously, Mike Kate. There's a few others that have completed the game as well. I've only gotten up to level four, and I think there's six levels from what I remember Paul telling me. I made it to level three, but then forgot to post my score for that, so it didn't happen. <laughs> so yeah, and the game slow. does the game does suffer some slowdowns on you see the top right corner on where i was playing you can see the flame shooting yeah. things yeah. you get the game some... starts to slow down there because it's it's processing a fair bit of stuff there's this constant sound effects does it work better on the 6309 the less slow uh, the 6309 they only discovered the secrets about it about eight months before the game got released, and I don't think Jeff was keeping up with that kind of stuff, so he didn't do anything with the 6309, unfortunately. Okay, but, but does it slow, suffer from the same slowdown, or does the yes. 6309? Yes, because the 6309 to have an advantage, you'd have to use extra oh, instructions okay. or turn on native mode, which this game does not. Yeah. Okay. Someday I'll have to patch it and see. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, because you're you not doing anything, are you? <laughs> <laughs> that could be another it. project I'm behind on. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah, just so, put it on your to-do list. So, Slippy, did you want to talk? Hey, Doug Master just joined us in the live chat. So he says, hey, guys, I only worked on the first three levels. Level one was 100%. Level two was about 60 to 80%. Level three, I only did background graphics. 
But thanks to Jeff and Glenn for getting the game out the door. Also, Absolutely. it was, this is a it was based game. on the Nintendo version. Yes. Okay. Yeah. For me, it's a technical tour de force. It's actually, it's got really advanced graphics with hardware scrolling stuff, but it's also, like I mentioned before, you got the best sound. It's got really good sound effects in addition to multi-track with percussion style music, et cetera. So it was... Uh, yeah, utterly... It's, it's um, one of the most advanced games. Now, actually, since Doug's in the chat, I was wondering, uh, one thing that Sundog also sold was uh, a sound editing system. I was wondering if he used that in particular to do some of the sound effects or did he come up with his own stuff? Okay, we'll see if he responds to that. But no, uh, yeah, it looks really cool. It's really yeah, impressive. It's it is um, definitely one of those ones you can show off to people and say, uh, "Yeah, yeah, this is what the Coco Three is capable of." Yeah. Destroy their misconceptions of the color computer. Right. Kind of like Donkey King did, you know, in the original Coco One. Right, 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 mm -hmm. right. You know, it's so funny. It's like even now, um, this is the great thing about YouTube is that once you throw something out there, it's just it's a re it's a resource forever. I just got a few comments on a Donkey King video I did, you know, a couple of years ago because that was you know Donkey King was our first game on game, and I think I was doing a live stream there trying to break a certain score, and I, somebody found that video and commented on it and was reminiscing on their memories of Donkey King, so. Um, oh, that that power up works. That's the invincibility one, which I totally forgot what it did. Ah, it makes okay. you immortal for a little bit. Um, so you did say yes. Sample the sounds from Nintendo. Okay, so you probably use soundtracks then, which is the Sundog sound editor program they sold. I don't think you can do the Konami code on that though. Mm. <laughs> there was jokes about that during the stream. Yeah. So. And if, if, even if you could, which is the A button and which is the B button? Right, right. <laughs> and, and what wow. I, I, I love, um, I love some of the memes now too. You see where they show that code, and then you see the little clip from the guy from Star Wars when they're trying to, you know, fly the Death Star. It's like, well, it's an older code, sir, but it does check out. You know, so it's yeah. just like. Uh, <clears throat> For the uh, stream, <clears throat> I said that I could, uh, that I had an A and B button. Mm -hmm. That's because I was when I was playing, I was using this controller. Ooh. Oh, the actual Nintendo which style. Is, yeah, yeah, it's a reproduction um, uh, Nintendo style in black with uh, USB. Okay. So I have an A and B button, but it didn't work. <laughs> Still didn't work. Is it one button only on the Coco Three? No, it uses no, both two. buttons. Uses it's both, both buttons. buttons. So that's okay. fire and the jump button. So. Fire and jump. Yeah. Okay. That's why I had to use this instead of my usual joystick because my usual joystick only has one button. So, Sloopy, did you want to talk a little bit about the live uh, show? Um, sure, if you want me to. Yeah, go right ahead. Yeah, uh, yeah we had, uh, what was it, uh, up to seven people playing at once. Um, we had uh, actually people playing other games also, which was uh, great fun. Um, mm -hmm. We had... Uh, Actually, uh, demons, demonstrations of uh, uh, Coco Bon by uh, Mr. Paul and uh, the uh, showing of um, Nick uh, Morantis' new game. World mm. premiere of For, Nick well, Morantis' well, new yeah. game. World yeah. premiere. Of his oh. upcoming game, not Zero oh. Hour. Yeah, oh. of his upcoming yeah. game. We also got to see Zero game. Hour be, be beaten. Yeah. Wow, I missed also. out. I missed out on a good action-packed Thursday night. Yeah. Holy crap! Yeah. See, this yep. is what happens, Stevie, when so. you don't show up to the live show. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess I guess people figure I'm not there, so let's do something cool. 
Uh, so know, I need to not, I need to keep not showing up or nothing cool will happen. So, <laughs> By the way, Doug Mastin in the chat says, I did have a cheat code, but I'm not sure if they kept it in. Ah. Oh, yeah. let's find out. So we, uh, yeah, on on uh, the Cocoa Top Game On Live Challenge, we uh, we live by the, uh, there is no wrong way to Cocoa. So okay. you can play any game, any Cocoa game you'd like on the show. Okay. I'm going to see if I can find Nick's world premiere here. Uh, you can uh -oh. even, even you can play you can even play Predator. Yes, <laughs> if you would like to, we were we were talking about that. Is, doing that that yeah. is one way, that is one be, great way. To, that or is you one can wrong beat yourself way. over the head with a brick, which is yeah. the same effect. So, so that is, that or, is yeah. that's, yes, beating yourself over the head with a brick is a viable alternative to playing Predator. Yeah, you may want to close your ear flaps if you do play it, but. Now I will mention the title page here has already changed and the game is getting renamed already too uh, from Nick. So yeah, this yeah. is Nick's world premiere of his upcoming game. Uh -oh. If so, there's been changes already, as Nick can probably attest to. Yeah, it's it's always it, it's a work in progress. It's dynamic. Okay, here we go. Ripped off. I mean, um, <laughs> it's, it's all based off of the the random number generator you have hidden in your basement, right? Yeah, that's right. RGB. Oh, Frogger SG. Programming by Nicholas Morentes, May 2022. Ooh, I like that. I like the little at signs there. Yeah, but that, that, that wasn't on a purpose. <laughs> okay. It's from the future. Yeah. They're oh, little frogs. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> colorful colorful uh, high score there. Very and colorful. Nick, Nick, this game is going to be for the one, two, and three, right? Yeah, yeah. For a 16K Coco 1, 2, and 3, yeah. So it's basically just a, a arcade version of Frogger, but um, it's being designed, of course, to work on the Coco 1, 2, um, and 3 semi-graphic mode. So you, you get color on a color computer. I love it. I love what you're yeah. doing in the semi-graphic space. You're doing so many cool things. While playing two-voice music. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, so is it Ooh, like a split that. screen where you it's, it'll Ooh. pan up when yeah, you get to the water so part? Okay. Because because the resolution of uh, of semi graphics is so low, it was either a case of cram the uh, Frogger game with some pretty scrawny, <laughs> ugly graphics, or expand it out and make use of the lower res. Oh yeah. So I've split up the uh, freeway scene uh, as one screen, and uh, the I haven't got it in yet, but the uh, river scene will come up after that. Okay. Although I thought I might even put a third brand new. Oh, <laughs> another layer, huh? Bonus. So there will be three screens uh, is the plan at the moment. So, oh, yeah, maybe it'll... maybe you can make it where you have to dodge copyright strikes and hate sites and other spite. Yeah, wear. well, that's right. Uh. Who knows? That might be coming. <laughs> yeah. Frogger 3 deep. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway. Oh, and Buck why. Owen says that the Odyssey 2, which was Magnavox's console, and the ZX81 version also did a split screen. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah because of the low res, it would look ugly trying to get nice graphics in such a small space. So if you get so low res, just make everything large. And then we also nice had game. some people. We also had some people playing Zero Hour. Practicing up for when it's a game on challenge. Look at that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I need to and order my copy. 
on that note, we are actually changing the date for when this is going to be the Game On Challenge. I had said before it would be for the uh, April 23rd show, but because Terry Steen is going to be on that week, I will be choosing a Terry Steen game to end that week. So Zero Hour is now going to be for the week ending on April 30th. So you have an extra week to order it. Okay. So get on the Nick's uh, site and order it because this yeah. is a really fun you game. Can order a digital yeah. copy and have it in your inbox. And, and I promise actual, not to book anybody on the 30th. I kind of forgot about the date. <laughs> in, in, and in truth, I just moved it so that I'd have more time to practice. <laughs> also, on a side <laughs> note, uh, the weekend of the 23rd and 24th of April, that is uh, VCF East in uh, Wall, New Jersey. Oh, okay. I don't know if we have anybody in that area that can maybe bring us some live um, I will footage. Be there. From the event. Oh, you will be there. Yes, I will be there. Okay. I will work. I'm working on a couple things in the uh, sidelines to be able to uh, stream live from there. Okay, cool. That would be great to be able to have a remote from VCF East. Nice. Look forward to hearing more about that, Mr. Malibu. Yep. Okay. Good deal. Yeah. Good deal. And Nick, thank you. I have a question. Uh oh, Brian has a question. Okay. Go ahead. Yep. For Contras, it's a three disc. How do you set that up on the SD or uh, SD one? You know what I'm talking about. The Coco SDC. You have the directory actually, with Shift M, yeah, and then you uh, run it, and it'll prompt you for the next disk. You tap the button on the top, and you'll see the light flash. Mm -hmm. It'll flash twice if you've selected disk two, three times if you select selected disk three. So you can just go through them as it's needed. You have to and make if you sure want you to the folder. And yeah, you, you mount the folder, not an um, image. Not the image. As a shameless plug, I do have a video on how to do that on my channel that is uh, um, revisiting Shame my Coco SDC. Shameless. Shameless. Okay. Direct, I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. The direction yep. said disc one was a flippy. Yeah. I was having a hard time getting that SD card in the other way around. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was doing the same thing. So the in order in order for that to work though, um and, and if you're getting it from an archive, it should be that way. But the the file names need to be consecutive. So it needs to be like contra one dot dsk, contra two dot dsk, contra three dot dsk. So you have to have three consecutive file names in the same folder. And at that point, if you mount the folder and not the image, um, then you can flip through. Uh oh, there's Mrs. Delvo is here. We have. Uh, uh oh. Uh oh. Oh no. We need to spotlight this. We have Ron's better half. You're muted. We can't hear you. Unmute, Ron. She knows where the garage is. Oh, that's, that's hey, where Ron. She sent oh. him to. Hey, nice to see you. <laughs> she she has to leave. She. I, I asked her to sit with me just just for a little while, just a little bit. So you're just visiting Ron in the garage while he's in timeout. Geez, Ron, you should be giving her a microphone so we can welcome Elaine. Oh, here. That's that's the usual reaction. That's 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 the usual reaction we get to an interview request. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. How are we going to recruit more women into this hobby if they just keep running away? <laughs> yeah, so I guess this is a compliment. I, I guess this is a compliment, oh, Ron. Kiss goodbye. Tie them down. Bye-bye. She's going bye-bye. Okay, I guess this is a compliment, but Buck Owen says, is that Ron's daughter? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Ron, uh, you dog. <laughs> <laughs> married 47 years. 47 years. Wow. Yeah. Straight from the cradle, huh? Oh, yeah. oh, she, she hasn't killed you yet? No. I wake up wow. every morning thinking, oh, 
No kitchen knife. <laughs> is, that a, is that a plotter behind you, Ron? She's a yes, strong woman. And it yep. is a plotter. Yeah. Ron, plotter. Ron, Ron does <laughs> graphics and stuff. Yep. Oh, the plot thickens then, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Uh, so... I'll get her back here later, you know, when she gets brave. Okay. That was cool. Let me have a sighting. There we go. Uh, yeah. So, Ken, are you ready to tell us what next week's game I of the week? I certainly can. Yes. This will be a game for the Coco 1, 2, or 3. Uh-oh. Dun-dun-dun. Ooh. Not Crystal Castles. Crystal Castles. Now, I did notice playing it on the Coco 3 that the um, the uh, starting oh, screen is screwed up. <laughs> yeah, it's a higher semi-graphics mode. Yeah, it's higher semi-graphics mode, so, but you don't have to do anything on that screen except just uh, hit enter to get past it. There's no Thunder selecting Vision. on that screen. So, I liked this game in the arcade. I, I was probably using a similar engine to um, the uh, Marble Madness game too, but it was really cool. This kind of isometric, um, you know, thing and kind of a three D where you can go inside and behind things, and it was a really cool game that you hadn't really seen anything like this before or after that I can recall anyways um, it, a little bit of a Pac-Man element because you had to run around and basically mm-hmm. just pick up all the things off the floor so you know clear a maze but it was a 3D moving maze you had elevators that went up and down you had different types of enemies you could jump over things you could jump over things um, so yeah it was I would I would dare to say it was an innovative game. Um, obviously, the arcade version was very colorful, great background music and sound effects, and you know. And then we have the Coco version that's pretty good for a Coco game, you know, as far as sound goes. <laughs> but uh, um, that one's yeah. probably ripe for some palette hacking if you're running it on a Coco Three because the kind of hard burgundy and navy blue colors don't lend themselves well to that fantasy setting of this game. But um. Hey, you just got to wear sunglasses. <laughs> there, there is a hacked version of it. I, would, like, I know the original version was all P-Mode 3, but there is a hacked version that actually kicks in artifacting colors on some of the levels. Oh, okay. Flip it around. I think that might even be the version on the archive. I think the patch version's on there, but the original did not do that. Right. Also, I'll mention, uh, for those of you who want to kind of see what the game is, uh, the Amigos actually just did on, I think it was the first or second episode of their Atari ST gaming podcast from this past month or two, we actually did the review of the Atari ST version of Crystal Castles. So if you want to get a bit of background on the game and how it plays, you can watch that as well. All right. Very cool. And what's the color computer version called? Is it called Crystal Castles? But with a K? Is that what it was? It's, it's, a, it's no. Crystal Castles. It's spelt differently, like Crystal spelled C R Y S T L E, I think, instead yes. of A L. Okay. So is that completely the, negates uh, any copyright? So right, honestly. exactly. Yeah. Right. If you have uh, if you have the um, the big file from the archive, there's two things on there. There's Crystal with an A L and Crystal with an L E. It's the L E one. Okay. Okay. Fun game. I enjoyed playing that game back in the day. It, it does seem to have most of the levels and the levels look and play very faithful to the arcade. Great Atari arcade game. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent, excellent. All right, what else is going on? Do we want to do game on news now before we go into newsy newsy? We can, though one thing we didn't really touch today, anybody have any tips and tricks for playing Contra? Oh, we got oh so tips and tricks for about. playing Contra, yes, true. <laughs> tips Don't and die. tricks. Um, going along the bottom is a lot easier to shoot up at things than shooting down at them. Okay. Going along the uh, like in, on the first level, going through the water. My my big tip is is there are certain places where it looks like it's really difficult to get through. There are certain tricks you can do, and once you learn those, you just keep doing those over and over. 
like on the first level, there's one part when you're getting close to the base, you got to destroy. There's this one spinning gun in the middle and I was jumping over it, getting shot every time. And then I finally remembered, actually, you're supposed to stop on a platform and duck down to the left before you even get to it, shoot it off. And then it's no problem getting through there. But I spent the first nine tenths of the stream doing it wrong every time. And I die <laughs> once, two, three, four times trying to get past it. So there's a bunch of little tricks like that. You'll learn like a certain jumping or timings when you're on the later levels with the little things coming down from the roof and there's various or the flames and everything else. There's certain things that you'll kind of learn because the maze is fixed. It never changes. The patterns for where the guns shoot and stuff is pretty constant too. So once you figure those out and learn those, then you'll start getting further and further and it becomes easier and easier. Mm -hmm. David Craker says, I switched the two buttons around on his Gravis analog joystick. So he, I guess, flip-flopped the A and B buttons that work better for him. Yeah, I would have done that too because it was a little... Uh... What would normally be the fire button was the jump button. Oh, there's one thing that came up during the stream I should mention. Um, it was crashing for a couple of people. Wouldn't even finish loading properly. And I tried it out. Like, I've got a two Coco 3s here set up. I've got one, two, both have two megs of RAM. And we, originally, we thought maybe that was the issue. Uh, but it actually worked on my regular Coco 3 two meg. But when I tried it on my Gimme X, it did crash. So there's a compatibility problem with the Gimme X. Now, my Gimme X, I haven't got the latest firmware update on it just because I haven't had time to do it. Um, so if anybody has a GimmeX and tries it and who's got the latest firm updates, let us know either in Discord or by email or whatever else, or even in the chat right now if you happen to be in there. I'm just curious if that is still a problem with the latest version of the firmware that that particular game doesn't run because we should let Ed know so we can try to track it down and fix it. Yeah, good to Give know. Good to know. All right, so next yeah. week game is Crystal Castles. Tips and tricks, any other tips and tricks in there? Um, on the second level, when you get that one power up that uh, gives you the uh, immortality for a while, you can literally jump even if a flame's shooting out, you'll catch that immortality, and then you can actually blast through the flames. The flames can go right through, and you just keep going, so you can actually skip that whole intricate timing you got to do to try to jump the platforms without getting hit by flames. So, I'd totally forgotten what that does. I just thought it was some regular points thing, it wasn't a real thing, but that actually is one of the two power ups that actually do work. So, definitely do that, it makes it a heck of a lot easier. And uh, after that, like I said, it's just basically learning the timings between things. And, also, and also be aware the game does slow down on some of those flame screens, so you have to adjust your reactions too. Also, if you die in one of those sections like the flame thing, which I very often was, you're invulnerable for the first little bit when you start. So just run through as much of it as you can um, when you're invulnerable. And you can actually, yeah, if you die at the beginning of the uh, flames, you can make it almost all the way through on your new guy as he's still invulnerable. So that's yeah. what I was doing. And Scott Cooper, also, Scott Cooper said okay. at the end of level two, you can just keep killing the dudes coming at you to rack up a huge score. I did not submit any of those scores for the game on though. Okay. So if you yeah, want to he showed, points. I think, a screenshot of like almost 500,000 points. Like, <laughs> you can just basically milk the game for points at that point. There's no timer on the game, which is nice. You can take as much time to study the screen and figure where you're going as long as you're not getting killed. Um, Another thing on the second level too, there's also a few spots where the flamethrowers, like Paul Thayer said, he uses this technique where if you die on the bottom of the screen, when you get relaunched for your life, you come up at the top. So you yeah. actually get to skip trying to go past all the flames. He said sometimes that's just easier than trying to get all the time that's to sacrifice a life and go. I would, die, I would die at the bottom, respawn at the top, and then run through the rest of it as quick as I could. Yeah, and you <laughs> avoid that well, whole roll of flamethrowers. So it's actually yeah. pretty, pretty 
we could technique. Okay, so Buck, Buck Owens was asking a question about Crystal Castles in another game called Ice Castles, wanting to know if they were the same. And he says that it appears that Crystal Castles was released as Ice Castles by Spectral for the Dragon 32. Sorry to cut you off, huh. Sloopy. If Spectral yeah. had bought the rights from ThunderVision or it had made an arrangement with ThunderVision to resell, that might be true. Because uh, ThunderVision didn't last long. They had um, Crystal Castles, Return of the Jedi, and I think that's the only games they had. And they only advertised in Rainbow for like maybe half a year and they kind of disappeared, so that might have happened. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't these... looked at Ice Castles, so. Okay. Sorry. No. Let Sloopy speak for God's sake at this point. Go ahead, Sloopy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All these. Okay, uh, I'll let very... Sloopy speak. <laughs> Where's my mute button? <laughs> Go ahead, Sloopy. <laughs> uh, with all these wonderful uh, tips and tricks for levels two and three, um, for those of us, uh, you have any tricks and tips and tricks for level one? Uh, can mention one. Go along the bottom. Go along the bottom shoot and up shoot up. up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you're getting those spinning guns, if you go just a little bit off center underneath it, it won't hit you. So you can just yeah. waste on it till it's gone. That'd be another. Uh, later yeah. on, on the far right, when you're getting those two cannons shooting at you, if you just edge your way over till just when the cannons show up on the screen, you can go back to a platform on the left screen, duck down, and you can just shoot them with impunity and get rid of them. They'll never hit you. So okay. then you can just watch up and blow up the final. Yeah, How's that? Some, some people <laughs> didn't get past level one. I'm not saying it was necessarily me. I'm just saying some people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> not mentioning any names. No. Okay. Asking for a friend. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, all right. So Ice Castles, Crystal Castles is our game next week. We Any more tips and tricks or are we ready to go on to Game On News? I think that's all I had for tips and tricks unless somebody else has any. All right. Do we want to interrupt Sloopy a few more times before we go into Game On News? Anyone? Absolutely. Sure. <laughs> Sloopy, I'm trying, hang on. But I'm not okay. going to bother. Okay. All right. <laughs> Curtis Boyle, regale us with the Game On News, please, sir. Okay. Let's make sure I got the right... Windows set up here. Yeah, there we go. Hey, you guys seen that? Yes, across the Rubicon, Arc Royal Games. Yeah, so this uh, there's a guy named Guillaume Alamani. I hope I'm pronouncing his right. I have no idea. Uh, but he's been contacting me the last couple of weeks asking a lot of questions about some of the Arc Royal games because he actually has this the Wargaming Scribe, which basically goes and reviews almost in chronological order, all the different types of war games that came out on microcomputers starting in the late 70s. In episode 55, he's actually hit his first Cocoa one. And uh, for those of you who remember Arc Royal Games from Rainbow, they used to have full-page ads, and they had a ton of games. The earlier ones were all like semi-graphics, you know, low-res, text-based ones, and then later on they got the P-Mode 4, etc. But they were especially known for their war games. They did a couple occasional strategy games and arcade games, but mostly this kind of thing. And these are games that take several hours to play. They're based a lot on like the old Avalon Hill games and you know the board games and stuff like that. And they they take a lot of knowledge of history and you know tactics and this kind of thing too that I just don't really have time to do myself. So I have these on my site and I played them for a few minutes just enough to get a bit of a feel. But I've never really played them to completion because this this isn't my style of game. So he was asking me questions like how to get it to run properly in a Cocoa emulator and all this kind of stuff. And then he actually did a complete full review and he's reviewing all the different parts of it and there's two versions there's across the rubicon and then rubicon 2 which later became across the rubicon 32k because the original version only took 16k and they added a bunch of extra stuff to it game save load was one thing and they added some more tactical units etc 
But he goes into a very deep dive on how the whole game plays, oh, wow. explaining what the different icons and stuff mean on the text screen. Um, there's a little bit of graphical stuff there too. Goes into some of the strategies, going you know, kind of how to how to play the game itself. Wow, this fully. is an extremely deep dive for sure. Yeah, yeah, and his his whole his whole blog thing that he does for all these games is is like this. So if you want to learn how to play war games, this is great stuff. Oh, he's got it as it, an animated GIF or something where it's actually moving around, huh? That's or is it an embedded video? Because before you could go scroll up a little bit more. That one right there, right there. It's, yeah, the screen's GIF, updating. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, man, that's really cool. Anyway, like I said, he did a really deep, deep dive, and then he does kind of a review. Here he kind of puts some screens together so you can see all the units and stuff that you're in control of. Um, obviously, the Coke screen is not tall. Oh, uh, you're, but later on, isn't? he actually... I have, I have the... I, I, do, I turn my monitor well, sideways. BGA, I guess, yeah. I turn my monitor BGA, sideways, and I get a lot more vertical resolution <laughs> at that point. So. <laughs> my, my TV doesn't have the feed on the side there for the end, so... And then he does a little bit of the review here. Of like, this is when they first started advertising some of their Royal stuff. The, um, you know what this is? This is like what your website wants to be when it grows up. No, no. <laughs> I, my website's never going to get this detailed on games. That's not the purpose of my website. <laughs> but it would, doesn't that give you an idea, though? Like, on your, not only should you show screenshots, but what if you could show, like, some of the adverts and stuff, too, in there? That would be kind of yeah. cool, you know? Like, I like this here. He goes, you know, final rating, well-designed but obsolete, because... You know, newer war games obviously do things totally different. Right, right. Um, would recommend to a modern player? No. Would recommend to a designer? No. Now he does review. Here's uh, one of the ads for all the other types of games they had going on at the same time. Um, and then he starts reviewing by different specs. Like here he does immersion, which he says is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean like hashtags and, and brackets are not immersive? <laughs> uh, clarity of rules and outcomes. He does a review of that. Um, goes into how you know how the keyboard was set this up. Obviously, different really things now. Yeah. Rating acceptable, which is a feat given the nature of the game and the limitations of the Coco. So you know he does give it some props. Okay. Systems. See, you know, systems. He said actually was quite good. He was kind of surprised, especially the third 2K version, which added a bunch of things that the original 16K version didn't have. And he said actually this is pretty good. This is you know kind of rivals modern stuff. And then, you know, scenario design and balancing, very poor. So he's doing a very honest take on it. He's not trying to hype anything up. He's not trying to just shoot it down because it's, you know, on a 40-year-old computer. And he goes, well-designed but obsolete is the final review. Thing. Okay. But he's planning on covering a lot more of the Arc Grill games. I'm really looking forward to this because I don't know these games well enough to do a proper review myself or even give tips of how to even play it, never mind how to play it well. Right. So I'm really looking forward to his hitting these other ones here. So he may be asking me some more questions and stuff here. And I've got a fair number of the Ark Road games I actually only put on in the last couple of years, uh, screenshots and stuff like that. So I'm glad he can do a proper review, unlike me. There you go. Looks so good, if you guys are into war games, or if you know that's into the war games and wants to try the Cocoa versions of or, it, then I would pick and, the war and, game and, and, and what I would even add to that is, because like, I'm not sure that I'm into war games, but I probably wouldn't mind reading this to know all I need to know about the game without actually having to waste the time to play it. You know, <laughs> he's already gone through a whole, the whole trouble to dissect it and explain it. I can just read that and have it spoon fed to me and be like, okay, cool. That's, I love it. That's great. I'm not going to play it, but now I know everything I could ever know about this game. So, um, yeah, like he tried the 16 K version like these games take hours to play. And he was going like, you make a mistake or you get distracted with something else and you shut your emulator down and have to reboot for a windows update or whatever else. I mean, you're kind of screwed. So he was really happy that the second version, uh, which was like I said, just renamed back to across the Rubicon again, 
uh, and just called 32K version, uh, that they added this game save and load. So he's covers that kind of stuff too, goes through the ads, etc. Uh, he wants me to give him a copy. I do have a copy of one of the Arc Royal catalogs. I have to find it again because I typed in some text from it a couple of years ago that I've got on my site, kind of the history of Arc Royal itself that's on my site. Okay. And uh, he wants to get an actual scan of the catalog itself. And I just I took a quick look, couldn't find it. So it, I just got to hunt it down and I'll send it to him. But And actually, I got to check to see. Maybe I did I upload the archive. I don't think I did because I should send it there too, obviously, if it's missing. Anyway, if you're into war games, this is definitely a good one to pick, and I definitely am looking forward to his future ones. He's going to kind of he's kind of doing all microcomputers together in chronological order. Okay. So I know like uh, Avalon Hill uh, themselves actually made one for the Coco called VC Viet Cong, which is a P mode three style graphical version, which was cross platform. It's on the Atari 400, 800. It's on the Apple II, etc. But there's a Coco version of that as well. I haven't looked across his site enough to know if he hits one that's cross platform. Does he go through all of them, or does he just pick one and go? So I'll uh, review that a little nice bit too. Nice to see but... a Coco game getting some love, though. Yeah, and actually he's quite fascinated by Philip Keller because Philip did almost all the war games. Okay. Uh, here for Curtis, Coco, did, so. did you ever um, see any of the game war game stuff that uh, my friend did, uh, Paul, at um, Sportswear? I think yes, did. War Game Designer, War Game Designer 2, etc. Yeah. Yeah, I have seen them. I don't think I've got them on my website yet. Now you you know him, uh, Paul. Yeah, um, he used to be my wife's boss. I bought my first color computer from him for three hundred bucks. <laughs> Are you still in contact with him? I'd love to have him on the show to talk I, about this. I system. see him now and then. Yeah, his his, uh, his daughter is a um, a TV personality in California. Hmm. She she does um, take him out uh, to lunch and make him an offer he can't refuse and get him on the show. Yeah, so. <laughs> seriously, I'd like to have him on the show for an interview because I'd love to go through that kind of stuff. I don't know this genre well enough to really ask intelligent questions, but uh, I, I would love to interview him about developing. Cause he, I, did he do some other things for sportswear? Yeah, like, he I, did uh, um, a, a disc. Um, he made a, um, a way to uh, copyright discs like, you know, um, Copy protect them, you mean? Yeah, and, and um, he had Super Disc, where um, you know you can go and look through. It's like a peeper program that you can look through a disc and change the. So did he do the other games that sports were sold? Like they also did stuff like uh, yeah, he, Barbarian he had, Quest and yeah, that was him. He he, he was uh, Sportswear. That was him. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, because they did some arcade games, too, so it would yeah. be pretty interesting to cover all that. Yeah, definitely yeah. see if you'd like to come on. Okay. That'd be awesome. Uh, and we'll count that as you getting the interview, not me and Gex, we're still <laughs> yeah. keeping time. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's okay. Next up, Todd Wallace, Lord Dragon, in our Discord chat, has released his first Coco 3 game ever. Now, he's released tons of utilities and music playing stuff, including stuff for Nitrous 9. Uh, using some of the hardware, you know, sound cards and stuff. We got like the OPL3 chip that's built into the Mega Mini MPI by Zipster's own. So he's also been working on his very own Coco 3 graphics game in assembly language, which he's never done before. And it's taken him three years because he's just been gradually learning everything here. And he did a little video to kind of introduce the game and the development of it. And um, it's four minutes long. Stevie, are you okay with me playing the whole thing? Or? It's up to you, Curtis. All right, how about the rest of the panel? Is four minutes too long? No. If okay. it's news, isn't it cool? He he has that little uh, thing on there. That yeah, the QR code. Yeah, yeah. Has yeah. anybody Scan. else used that? 
Um, Matchy did something with it before, I remember. Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, to see, to see a high-res one, yeah, it's, it's very cool. Yeah, it does work. I mean, it's just an encoding, and then you scan on your phone and jump how, to the website. I wonder how he put it on the screen there. Uh, it, they're pretty easy to draw. There's actually a technique. There's like the little lineup squares you can see in the three corners that tells it how to do it, and then you just embed data. You can create that for free stuff on a PC, and then you just grab the graphic and throw it on, or you can even figure out how to actually draw it literally. I've done actual 2D barcodes like the standard vertical stripe ones on the Coco before because I have a book and how, how that's all set up. Neat. Google Chrome. Google Chrome. You can just take the URL and say create QR code. Yeah. And yeah. Save it as yeah. an image and scan it into your Coco. Yeah. Anyway, okay. If everybody's okay with it, I'll play the whole thing. Play the whole thing. It gives this little background. Hey, guys. So three years in the making, my first uh, real Coco game is ready to go out into the world and i just wanted to show you just a quick demo of it so uh, i want to use real hardware just because i don't know it's got a better vibe to it um so there you go click oh i just want to mention too we're lining up an interview with with todd too that'll be coming up we haven't got the dates hammered up yet but turn it up Maybe a little a, it's uh based off of i got game. it maxed out right um, now I oh, okay. a lot in the 90s uh on windows and whatnot it's a block style game you'll see in a sec but I, I felt like getting fancy and put a QR code there. Um, so you can <laughs> scan that if you so desire. Um, but what's, so this is a, like a mouse pointer based game. And because of that, I wanted like the best cursor performance you could get. So I incorporated um, the software based high resolution um, joystick mouse driver developed by Sockmaster, Nick Morentes, and uh, Robert Gold, I believe. And um, yeah, but if you're using an emulator or for whatever reason you're having issues, if you hit the spacebar, you can select standard, you know, um, Coco joystick pulling, which won't be as precise, but it's, you know, it's good enough to play. So this is uh, what it looks like. You know, so it's pretty straightforward. I've got a top 10 scores list uh, that you can compete against, and it does save to disk uh, on a file. I think it's uh, click, no wait, I forget what it's called, but um, there's a file that'll be on the disk image that it saves to, but basically you have to click on two common colors next to each other. And then I'm doing this with one hand, so sorry. And also they drop and they drop. And you get more points the more blocks you can you can eliminate at once and you know the the objective is to clear the entire screen which is actually not that easy at first i thought this was kind of like flood it where you had That's to like uh kind yeah. of take over the colors but it's no, like a hybrid of flood it and tetris um, yeah which it's really cool happy coincidence if I just redraw the board every single time it kind of looks animated um, so you know it's good to have goals um, so just for the sake of the demo I have a cheat code um, which will simulate winning or losing so this is what it looks like if you lose um, you get a flash oh, no valid moves are left it creates a little pop-up which I'm actually really proud of um, it captures the screen behind it stores it in memory and when you're finished, it'll, it'll restore underneath. Uh, so now, no valid moves. So I am Todd. 
Looks like you punch that in. There you go. I'm on the board. I'm above Sam Dog. So then play again. It's, oh, it said save to disc. So you can play again. Um, if you hit no, it'll just bring you back to the. Uh, actually, I think it just stays on the screen. You can do whatever. But so now, if you win, this is kind of what it looks like. You get green. You're proclaimed the legend. And actually, if you're on the high score, then uh, you'll also get to save there as well. But uh, yeah, see, so it just stays there. Hit break, abort game, yes or no. Uh, and then I have an info screen here. If you hit F1, uh, you can kind of read all that text. It explains about the save file, high resolution, and story. But uh, yeah, so um, it should be available. Uh, there'll be a disk image if you guys want to download it. Appreciate any feedback and uh, have some fun. Happy cocoing. So That's it looks, really cool. It looks really good. You've actually played it a bit there, Stevie? No, I have not. I am not, but I just was noticing in the gameplay because I, I had only seen just the static screenshot. I hadn't seen the gameplay yet, and um, I know a lot of other people did comment on Facebook on it. But um, I, I remember some people saying, "Is it like Flooded?" And and Flooded, the screen looks similar, and you have to click on colors, but then that color will take over the other colors, and the, the object is to like basically paint in the whole screen with one color to clear the screen. This one looked like that, but ended up being. Um, a little bit like Tetris, so you kind of have to match, and then they fall. So that's actually cool. Yeah. Um, it looks neat, so I'm, I want to download it and play it. Yeah, it does look neat. And, it, and, and Nick, I was going to ask you, because he's actually using the, the software high-res routine, and I know you guys published that quite a while ago, and I guess there's a few projects now that have actually used it now. Uh, yeah. This one here, ColorMax 3 Deluxe by Eric Averill, used it as well. So it looks like your routine's finally getting used out in the wild. Yeah, it's good to see it in uh, in action. Have you had a chance to try this one, uh, Nick? No, no, I haven't. No. Are I you too busy doing games. your Frogger clone? I don't play games. I just sit there and write them. <laughs> I tried it. I got on the the game um, level, you know. Yeah. It's it fun. You really have to think when you're, when you're clicking them to try and get as much as you can out, you know. And it, I didn't, I wasn't successful, but. It was fun. So in a way, it's almost like a combination of like Bejeweled and Tetris. Because Bejeweled, you have to match colors and certain patterns and stuff. And, and then Tetris, things kind of fall. So yeah, that's neat, though. Yeah. I, I think he mentioned this is actually based on a, was it a phone I, game or something? I can't remember what he said. But yeah, there's some some yeah. other game that it's yeah. based and, you know, on. And John Strong does a lot of games like this, too. And, and these are actually yeah. fun kind of games. You know, you, it doesn't have to be an arcade game. It doesn't have to have high-speed graphics to be fun. I actually enjoyed Flood It, and Flood It was actually done in semi-graphics 4 mode, you know, so it's yep. like as low res as it gets, but it's just a fun game to play. Um, yeah, we need more games like this where just casual Yeah, the game, casual. Game, casual yeah. gameplay, and, and like this would be a good game on challenge game. It's free. I was just going to ask it that has, because... It uh, has a high score table. It's casual. You don't have to be a super fast reflexer, multi-button, high-res joystick kind of guy, so... Um, yeah, and like I said, Todd has agreed to be on. He's just that he's he's in the midst of doing a move in the beginning of May, so he's kind of getting ready for that and everything else. Uh, so we'll we'll line it up hopefully in mid mid late May somewhere. Or oh, and then like we that. can maybe so, make it the game it the, the week game before. On yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to playing this too. Man, oh, cool. It's, cool. it's a nicely presented game. Nice colors. Yeah. Well laid out. Yeah. Simple, and it uses my high res. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just needs a trash can too. So <laughs> that's right. That's all right. He's next. Yeah, he, game. he went and screwed up and he put the QR code instead of the trash can. That's <laughs> only issue. No, I'm just kidding. Nice. Anyway, it's available for download on Facebook. I think he's already uploaded to the archive, though I haven't checked lately just to make sure. But uh, like he said, he's looking for feedback. He's active in our Discord as Lord Dragon. So if you want to send him some feedback on the game, please do. Congratulations, Todd. Yeah, and thanks, thanks for all the other stuff too. Like uh, we've been including some of his OPL three music players and stuff. And the um, IBM uh, fonts. Yeah, the IBM font. Uh, a ton of stuff he's been doing under Nitrous Nine, so he's he's a big contributor to that. The EOU project as well, and a lot of his stuff's already on there as default installs. So, thanks for that as well. We'll talk to him about all that stuff in the interview. Yeah, he did system info. System info. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I forgot yeah. about that one. The, the only fault I can see is that his uh, monitor is missing the uh, missing the door. The door. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did, don't they all come that way? That's the only way I've ever seen them. That's so. a standard that's right, feature. Yeah. That's, uh, uh, yeah. that's right. You've got to pay extra for the door. That's what a Coco user looks like. <laughs> if, if you if you still have a door in your CM8, you're obviously not using your Coco enough. That's all that's I right. uh -huh. all right, well, I have. I have two if my doors are on. Okay. Next article. Hey, next up. Yeah, so Fabrizio has done some Cocoa stuff before, and this is his cross-platform. He calls it cross-lib. It's a cross-platform library that runs on about 30 retro machines. Um, he does have graphic support and stuff for it, but he's been asking a lot of questions lately on MC10 support because he has not had that before. And he's actually got it all working. He had some issues you know, getting the keyboard and sound and stuff to work. So he's actually released his uh, standard five games he's got now, cross-snake, cross-sword, cross-bomber, cross-shoot, and cross-chase. I've all got MC10 releases out now, and this compiles down to semi-assembly language type stuff. So they're pretty quick. Um, he is working on getting the 128 by 96 four color graphics mode, which is supported in all MC10s, uh, to work with his library as well. So expect some updates to these same Vive games coming out later that will include some graphics. So we've, we've been talking about the fact that uh, the MC10 has been getting a lot of machine language gaming love lately. Um, both from the compiler that Greg Dion has done for basic compiling. The Japanese. Uh, that we've been, yeah, the Japanese in, in, in Ufito. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly because they've got a C-like language that does compiling too that they've been releasing, that, like that Game Ascend we just covered recently. And now Fabrizio's got one as well now too. So there's like multiple ways to get into writing, you know, sort of assembly language type games without having to learn 683 assembly language. So... He's got some screenshots. Now, these are all text-based as it currently stands here. As you mentioned, he's working on the, the actual, you know, full graphic support. Uh, unfortunately, none of these are animated, but... Uh, this is a bombing one where you shoot down and blow up stuff on the ground. Anyway, so it's really cool. He finally got that working. Yeah. He's added another machine to his... Uh, right. And this, this, this gets back to a conversation we had i think last week with rondell though too is that ultimately game design is the most important thing yeah and while this is using literally all just alpha text and we don't even have fancy redefinable text without like the coco vga um you can still make something that's comprehensible and visual and most importantly hopefully fun to play so as i'm yep. looking at this i'm thinking wow this would be kind of cool to make just just doing a little snake game with with using o's for the body of the snake and an asterisk for the tail or the head or something like that you know the number eight for the head it'd be so easy to do like a centipede or a snake game just using this built-in character fonts you know and just do something fun and that's usually where i begin and end like i'll get an idea oh i wonder if i can do this 
have, here's an idea. Here's a proof of concept. Yes, I can do it. And then uh, now I don't want to do it anymore because now it's work. <laughs> so, but yeah. I was just going to say, it's, it's a good way to start development. Like if you want a proof of concept yeah. in the game without having to draw intricate graphics and get it running fast yeah, enough in the graphics, yeah. we'll do this first, see if it, the, the gameplay works. But yeah, looking at that screen right there, I'm like, you know what? I want to do a little mock-up uh, snake game using nothing but text now, just by looking at that. Because that, when I see that, I'm seeing like a, a snake type thing, you know? Like your snafu, Tron, snake type thing. So, um, yeah. And I would love to see actually, uh, you know, people experimenting with this kind of thing. And I'd love to some of these people who are writing the compilers, et cetera, to do some Coco VGA support for the Coco stuff. Right? And Coco VGA does work in the MC10 too to get the higher 64 by 32 and maybe see what you can do with redesign. More yeah, because then you can redesign the not only the text fonts, but then you can redesign all the semi graphics blocks. So you have basically eight high res characters on a black background that you could create you know that uh, 8 by 12 block yeah because you used that on your what was your bomb game called yeah something like kabam kabam yeah yeah so i'd like to see some support in some of these you know cross compilers and uh and, and actual compilers like greg dion sir just to yeah. see what can be done with that and the compiler doesn't really know because at the end of the day it's you're just doing semi-graphics you you can change what the semi-graphics looks like underneath the whole application with the coco vga you know, so you just yeah. write, you just write it, and then. And there's an update for that. We'll be getting to in the regular news. Just yeah, I saw teaser, that. That was cool. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I like that. I like it. Yeah. MC10 Good getting stuff. more love. Next up, this is a whole whack load of stuff from Jim Gary. He's actually been kind of quiet lately. He sure made up for it this week. There's like, I don't know, seven or eight different things he put out. So the first one here is he's got Demons Defiance modified for use with joystick web sound file. Now, the MC10 doesn't have a joystick port, so I actually sent him an email because I was going, how the heck are you getting a joystick on the MC10? So he sent me an email back with a little bit of the history. So apparently, and this is uh, from an Australian magazine, I believe. And uh, Michael News, wasn't that Australian Rainbow or one of those? Yeah, it's the MC10's uh, magazine. Oh, they had a separate magazine? or It was, yeah, Maiko. It was just, uh, it was a smaller magazine, though. Uh, <laughs> it was like on a po- it was like a postcard size magazine. So yeah, yeah, and it was there to hold open the door on your mailbox. Um, just kidding. Well, Mike, uh, actually, I'm I'm mixed up. I don't know. Is it a magazine or is it? They reference the MC10 as a Mico down here, like the mini so, Coco. Yeah, I, I, the I mini thought Coco. it was. I thought it was a section of one of the Australian yeah, Coco magazines. Yeah, I think that, you're right. Yeah. So, Maiko is the uh, name they chose for the MC10. Like the Mini Coco? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, so, anyway, this, uh, this was an article published there by Greg Taylor called Assemble MC10 Joystick, and it only had left, right, and fire. And from my understanding is that basically it's uh, using the RS-232 port to sense two joystick directions plus the fire button. So, it's a fairly simple circuit to make, fairly easy software to write. And then in oh. January of this year... And this is also pointed out to me by Jim Gary. I can't remember if I covered this or if I missed this before, but Mark Dusko actually implemented it. And you can see some pictures here of the oh, thing. So he's using buttons instead of joystick, but he's got left, right, and fire basically coming through this. And there's some. You know, so it doesn't details. go up and down? No. This particular one, no. It's just left. So right. It's like f- a, more like a paddle style. Yeah, like, like for like Space Invader type games where you do nothing but move left and right. But, um, but still, it's better than nothing. Or a keyboard extension, however you want to look at it, right? So. Yeah. Um, so this is basically what it's based on, and, and, and Mark, uh, the person that wrote this article here actually had asked Jim, "Could you do some 
games that support this so that he can test it and make sure it works properly. And that's what Jim has done. He's released that Demon's Defiance game with a joystick support to support this specific thing. And if it proves to be fairly popular, it's a fairly easy thing to make from the looks of it. Yeah, this, uh, this could be a Coco Man product. Yeah. yeah. Um, it would need a toggle switch, though, to be a, a, full, yeah. a full-fledged full Swap left and product. right or something for, like, left-handed yeah. game players. I don't know. <laughs> um, well, you wouldn't even need to put it in a box. Make it an adapter you plug a standard Atari joystick into. It'll only work left and right, but... And a toggle you... switch to move up and down, just in case you have, like, a vertical... Well, may, may, maybe you can have a toggle, yeah, exactly. Interesting. Okay. So anyway, Jim's Jim's actually helping. He put out this one game that he just released. Well, before but so g- getting back to your first question though, did the MC10 have a joystick? The answer is yes, twice. Be- well, and maybe not through Tandy, but the Alice released a memory pack um, oh, right. that that had that. a joystick adapter on it. And um, Ed Snyder had released something like an MCX a long time ago that had a joystick port in a sound chip for the MC10. I don't know how, if that, you know, if that, I don't think you can buy that now, but I remember seeing that. I remember he had something for the MC10 that looked like the MCX128, but it had like Atari style joystick connectors on it and it had a sound chip. So it was almost kind of like a Coco PSG slash MCX thing for the MC10. So obviously that'd be doing it differently than this if it's going through the cartridge version. Right, 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 right. How does so, the MC10? It's got a cassette interface, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, is it a DAC? How does it work? I think it works the same as the Cocos, doesn't it? Or pretty close well, to it. It may be possible it's... to do a joystick through the cassette port. Well, no, it's, that's going to be just a zero crossing detector to to get frequencies off. So it would so be it's helpful. So not, not a DAC as such. But the the sound card and joystick makes sense because there's your there's your analog all in one thing. So I can yep. see why it worked that way. Well, from the schematic, it looks like this thing was using the serial port, just using. Yeah, just three three uh, state things. Are you Up getting ideas, in... Pat? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, this is just uh, using the serial port to tell zero one and. I haven't done all the math here, but. Okay, that's neat though. So is the yep, ne- yeah. is the next tab showing what the game looks like? Um, I'm not sure if it's the same one. I know we've done the game before. But this is the one that's now been done to work with the joystick. Is that what this video here is? Or no? Yeah, this yeah. is basically the... Now, this one's called Demon's Defiance 2 here, so I'm not sure if it's the exact same game or if it was a slightly modified version of it. Okay. Fred Skirbo. This is converted from a Coco game originally by Fred Skirbo. Oh, look at that. Demon attack. Oh, it's kind of shooting through the. Uh... Yeah, it's kind of bust out with a demon attack combined, but that's it. The sound that the demon's making is definitely not your normal sound command, so that's got to be a. And the explosion was pretty cool. Yep. But farming points is farming points. <laughs> oh, and, and some, of them, some of the some walls come back. growing back at yeah. this like too. So. Yeah. That's kind of your timer, I guess. They regenerate. Ah, oh, right. Oh, 
there. The explosions are good. Now, what is that yep. red thing on the bottom that's moving back and forth? I'm not sure what that is. I wonder if that's showing you the direction the bad guy's going to go in, or... Maybe. I, I know, like he mentions in the comment uh, description below, that it, this is originally from Ma Ma Rainbow Magazine, March 1985, so if somebody wants to look up and see any details, that the original article by Fred Skirbo, you can grab it from there. But he's obviously converted to the MC-10, and now he's got a version that works with the joystick. Yeah, cool. Hardware. All right, my ears are killing me, so let's... Uh... Let's pause Why that turn it up? Is that what yeah, you said? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so next one he did here is uh, Color Computer Race, which is ported from the Coco uh, as well from an April 1985. Now, Enter Magazine I'm not familiar with. Are you, any, anybody on the panel familiar with that magazine? Or that's something I'm Enter really, really Magazine, no. The, no. the name Phil Straffolino, I do remember oh, that. A, is that a Commodore 64 uh, magazine? I have no idea. I think Enter is, yeah. Or do they have Enter? No, no, I don't know. No, it's a, he's converted to the MC-10, obviously, and it's a racing game. Not likely. The Commodore used to return key. At least the yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, so. Okay, so we got a couple of inverted brackets as our thing, and this is the normal print scroll routine, but it looks cool. Yeah, so a nice little quick little racing game. And then he did uh, Turing Tumult. Also from Enter Magazine from the year earlier. A simple Turing machine for multiplication. You know. This is for the math geeks in the crowd. Okay, okay Buck Owen says there was a, a magazine for the C64 that was called Run. Run, that's what I'm thinking of, yeah. So I have no idea what this thing is doing right yeah, now. Yeah, I don't know either. It's moving, <laughs> it's moving back and forth, and there's ones on the screen, and okay. Okay. Anyway, if you're I into... Like... Sorry, what? Oh, I was going to say, I like the Transactor magazine for Commodore. It had a lot of cool hardware articles. But anyway, so it's uh, some sort of binary game? Or multiple, it's it's something to do with multi no multiplication, so I'm not sure. Yeah. Once once I saw it, it involved high-end math, I was out of there. Yeah. So I wonder if Jin Gary also doesn't have uh, time to play games as well. He just program programs them too. Well, he's been busy this time. Here's another one called Slug, which is from K-Power Magazine. I don't know that one either. That one I've got a copy of. Slug or the magazine? It was uh, a K-Power. It was uh, it covered multiple uh, uh, multiple machines. So something like computer, something like that. Though. It was one of the later ones. Yeah, like, like several of them went out of business, and they kind of combined into K Powers. That kind of a kids-oriented magazine. So the programs were like real short. Okay. Joey, Joey Ramon from the Ramones. <laughs> a little bit of music. What I got when my Sinclair magazine went defunct. So you just play some music and doesn't. Oh, so it's an story. animated song, huh? Yeah. It's like early. Now you said this was a kids' karaoke, magazine, huh? so that might explain it. Yeah. Okay. Next one is another one from K-Power, but it's a graphic and sound one. I'll just play a little bit of it. It's July July 4th. 4th. Oh, there we go! Fireworks. Oh, 
eagle. It yep. looks like the eagle from the Muppet Show at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <it does. laughs> fireworks, overlapping fireworks of multitudes of colors. Uh, here, here's K Power. Okay. It was published by Scholastic. Here, I'll stop sharing and let you show that so that uh, people can see what we're talking about there. Let me uh, let me spotlight you for just a second here. Hold on, Mark B. You're, we're not ready to see you fully I'm cover yet. Cover up my address here. You've been okay. Uh, K Power. Oh, I look at the nude. Yeah, <laughs> right? it kind of looks like Rick Moranis. It does, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, Riptide was the popular show at the time. Okay. It was okay. printed by uh, Scholastic. Animate with Movie Maker. Review of Pogo Joe, Beachhead, Tycoon, Drool, Snyder, and more. Test. Yeah, I'm just looking at the, the top left corner. So it yeah. says programs for the Atom, the Apple, the Atari, C64, VIC-20, IBM, TI, Timex, and the TRS-80s. That's a pretty wide range. Yeah, <laughs> and, right? and, the, yeah. and the heading may have a, bit of, a few problems nowadays. Hacker heaven. Hacker heaven, <laughs> right? Yeah. Enter right. magazine was by the Children's Television Workshop. Oh, wow. Sesame Street. Okay. Cool. So, it was yeah, I've never heard of this magazine. Never saw it. So this is kind of like a highlights magazine for computer nerds. <laughs> right. Did they have a Goofus and Gallant segment in there? By any chance? So, oh, okay. In the beginning. Generated art. Oh, look at that. Hmm. Sexy. Which, cool. at the time, there were no home computer could have done that. So that was like high-end stuff there. Yeah. So, in fact, they even had some Model uh, Model 3 programs. So it seems like since they just mentioned TRS-80 and then it mentioned like a specific one, it's probably some like cross-platform generic type and basic type stuff, I would imagine, right? So Yeah. Well, yeah. there's uh, there's one. Radio Shack there's Cleanup. Yeah, that's the Model 3, Adam 16K RAM. Then there's a Timex one in the lower right Okay. Corner. Oh, so some of the code was platform-specific. Okay. Yeah, Neat. or at least had yeah, modifiers for the code. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's variations there's... for the way different systems basics do stuff. Coleco black hole. Apple IBM maker, black hole. Maker. Oh yeah, because Coleco Coleco, um, what was it called? The Atom computer. It had like Atom. Apple Soft Basic, right? So yeah, yeah. there's a Radio Shack oh, crystal maker yeah. for the Coco on the right side there. For the Coco on the right. Yeah. But the atom was a Z80 processor. So they so show you probably some stock basic source code, and then show you some some specific changes based on a flavor of basic. Yeah, yeah. that's neat. That is really neat. So, I remember Compute Magazine did that, but not for that many platforms. Yeah. Assembly, Assembly language, language secrets revealed. Ooh, Apple Scroller, Atari Scroller, Apple Flash, Atari Flash. That's all six five zero two. I'm yeah. taking it. They Apple didn't do Flash the other platforms for this one. Yeah, it's an Atari one, and then they went into the Kangaroo program. But yeah, that's the only issue of this one I have. That is really yeah. Cool. I never saw that one. I don't. I wonder if it was sold in Canada. Ken, did you or did you ever see that one? Not, <clears throat> not that I know of. That's kind of like I had a subscription, and it just kept each one they sold us the you know they went out of business sold the subscription to another company and they only lasted a couple of months and sold to someone else that's when magazines are <laughs> dropping like flies back then mm. right yeah cool all right curtis what else we got going on in the news yeah so to continue on the jim gary train there's <laughs> <laughs> another one converted from the Sinclair ZX81 basic game called HJA Ball. Yeah. 
Ah, it's like a breakout. I think it's actually handball is kind of okay. Handball, there. Huh? It's a single player where you just basically try not to lose the ball as it goes through. And you're just, just getting points by staying alive, huh? Yeah, I've seen there was a magazine, one of the Coco that did this in sideways, but in a P mode one or something. It actually had two players and they take turns. Okay. You know, your paddle would freeze when the other player was going, and then you try to angle it to. Okay. That's cool. And is this one still using that joystick of his? Uh, no, that one was keyboard as far as I know. I think oh, he's, was, only, he's yeah. only changed one so far to use that joystick. Because right. they're kind of testing to make sure everything works properly. So I imagine he'll probably go back and change a bunch of them if they're friendly for just, you know, single axis joystick movement. There's another one from Enter Magazine, Cursor Foiled Again, by originally by Jim Lewis in April of 1985. This is a text adventure game. You've just been zapped by a beam of light and you find yourself shrinking and must find cursors within 20 minutes or you'll disappear completely. Bus pass, piece of gum. There are two computers here. You've used up one minute. You're carrying a rubber band. Wow. There's a Enter um, Facebook group, Enter here. Magazine. Okay. So, it's so you're hot on fun. the cursor's trail. Is this kind of like Hunt the Wumpus or something? Or I don't know. You've used up I'm two minutes. Sure. You're carrying rubber band and blue wire. So it's uh, you're standing in front of a CRT. There is a keyhole under it. Uh, unfortunately, you don't have the key. You go back to the lupins and you, you're carrying rubber band and blue wire. Wow. You see three ports. Anyway, yeah, if you want to check out the neat. whole text adventure game, you can check that out. So. Anyway, that's what Jim Gary has done this week. All right. All well, we'll cut him some slack. <laughs> Next up, Siblings. we have... Uh, now, I didn't cover this last week. I don't know if I missed it or if they got released a little bit late, but basically there's two new episodes of Sibling uh, Rivalry. Episode 23, which is a Coco game, Microbes, which I'll play a little bit of here shortly. And then they just released another one either last night or this morning, which is actually doing the Atari 2600 game that I think we're fairly familiar with these days called Fall Down, which is this is what Firefall and Waterfall and everything else was originally based on. And uh, that one actually has a two-player simultaneous mode, which none of the Coco versions have, Ooh, where you, you're following down the platforms and you can bump into each other and throw each other off so you oh. like, miss a platform and you're trying to collect the gold and stuff. So it actually looks like a fun modification to the game. We've got you know a couple versions up on the Coco, so I wouldn't mind seeing somebody create a two-player version of that because that actually looks like a lot of fun. So, um, I'll play a little bit of that one actually after I didn't originally plan on doing that, but maybe I'll throw it in. But I'll just play a little bit of the intro of Microbes. Now, for those of you who don't know Microbes, this was originally called Color Meteoroids by Spectral when they sold it on their own. Tandy liked it enough. They renamed it, did some tweaks to it, and then they sold it as Microbes, a game cartridge. kind of Asteroids. Well, it is Asteroids. The one unique thing about it, though, is it uses both joysticks. One joystick controls the engine flying direction, and the other joystick controls the firing so you don't fire in the direction you're flying in. You can fire completely ah, in a so different So that's kind direction. of like Robotron-ish. Yes. It would be exactly almost like impossible to do. One joystick moves you, one joystick controls where you're firing. It'd be very so, difficult for one person to do that with two hands. I know that's what it's probably designed for, but... That's, yeah, that unless you tape your joysticks yeah, to a table challenging, or something. challenging, yeah. So in this case, they team up, and they're actually controlling... One's controlling the moving, one controlling the firing. They actually do quite well, so oh. I've a little bit of that. Okay, cool. Pew, pew, pew. I like that. <laughs> I think I'm getting sick. AJ, welcome to another episode of Sibling Rivalry, the show where we, my, me and my sister, play video games. Right on. I'm here, and you are currently residing in Anginetia. 
And what's the national an animal for Anginetia? Well, it's the mermaid, of course. Of course, the mermaid. And, and how does Ryan Reynolds fit into Anginetia? <laughs> well, someday he'll come visit. I believe he's the ambassador to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he could be the ambassador to Anginetia. I'd be happy with that. The Canadian ambassador to Anginetia. Mm -hmm. uh, um, Absolutely. Duly noted. Now fast forward a little bit to the actual gameplay. <laughs> Where one person drives and one person shoots, but whatever. Hey, it works for us. Kay. And here we go. Okay. Oh, did you see that? See I that? Did. I, I did. Pointed in the right direction at the right time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to get such a good score. You think? Yeah. I think we're going to hit a high score. Now, uh, the game cool. is called Microbes because uh, you're supposed to be fighting disease inside of a cell. But let's face it, this is Asteroids. Yeah. Um, anybody who's played it. Oh, oh so close. Hey, you can check out the rest of the yeah, video. Yeah, let's there. go. Let's go. I'm just gonna do a quick cheat here. Atari fall down. Okay, and this is like from the 2600. Yeah. <laughs> so I just want to show it because it, it's actually a pretty good version of the game that actually looks like a lot of fun for two players. Hey Tim. Hey AJ. I uh, want to go play some video games. I want to go play one in particular. This game in 2005. And that's not to be confused fused with our favorite Curtis, L. Curtis. I didn't mean to pick that no, particular Curtis segment, Boyle sorry. Yeah, he's, he's a cool dude. Cool so this is... Yeah, right. But here we go, we're going to start. Fall You're down right? 2600. Okay. I'm not ready, but I'm going to try. All right. you remember I love the running man, though. It looks yeah. really good. Am I pink? Yeah, I am pink. No, I'm blue. So we bounce off each other, and we try to be the first one to go through... The platforms so we and we get a point. Oh, so this is almost the opposite of farfall though because this one the whole thing's a platform of just a hole yeah rather than little tiny platforms yeah. <laughs> Got it. but the fact you can slam each other off yeah and if you get up to the top of the screen you get crushed and you die but you come back it'll go about three levels and then your player will come back on okay, from the now side the holes so are getting bigger. you can die by being crushed by a platform at the very top of the screen okay that's a long way to go just to get across ah! That looks really cool. Yeah, it looks like a really fun version of it. I've never really thought of trying to make that two-player, but it actually works pretty well. Yeah. And it's competitive two-player, too, so perfect right. for their show. And you can't yeah. jump, so you if you have to be in the level where it's at. You can't, like, jump over the hole to get something. Interesting trope flip that the holes are good. Are the good thing in the platform is the bad thing. Because if you're on a platform, you yeah. can't get to a hole or drop. Uh, somebody got crushed. This game's not over, AJ. Game, game, game <laughs> That's cool. You could have you could have yeah. upped your points. I was pink. I got. Hey, it's a it's a pretty interesting game. So anybody who's done any of the the farfall waterfall style games, I wouldn't mind seeing a two player game of this like this because it actually has some extra gameplay and it has both one and two player versions. You can play like a normal game we're used to, but the two player really adds some stuff to it. Maybe once with these network cards are going, this would be a nice game to, you know, send across uh, playing against each other over the net. I smell a Nick Morenti side project coming on here. <laughs> and Rick Eulen can maybe uh, bundle a game like this with his uh, network card when it's done. Right? Love to. All right. That'd be cool. Oh, that's next. Next is the last of the game on challenge. We haven't covered Cuthbert Dragon in a while because he's been doing a lot of 
he, he constantly redoes his channel. He kills all of his videos and then redoes them again. So I haven't really been covering because we covered most of the games again. Um, and he's been doing some other platforms as well, not just the Dragon. But uh, this week, he actually released one playing Pinball Factory by Mictron, which I don't know how many people have actually seen. It's originally written by Kerry McFadden. And it's uh, basically a pinball emulator with up to four players. But it lets you design your own boards. You can actually you know, place everything on and design it. And I don't think it's something that's been seen too often. So no. I thought I'd show a little bit of it. I like his gravity simulation. It's pretty good. Yeah, decent physics, eh? Pretty good speed there, too. So yeah. this is and a the editor is actually quite good. A little so. bit better than the original pinball cartridge where everything was like low-res blocks, you know? Yeah. yeah. And the one nice thing about this editor, too, like the original pinball cartridge did let you edit in and put in bumpers and draw lines and stuff. This lets you place all the individual pieces... But you can also design the, um, what do you call it, the actual graphics like that would show up on a pinball machine on the you know, lit up glass. Okay. That upper right oh. corner that's completely blank. You oh, can that would design be like the, uh, the whole billboard art looking oh, thing. Oh, right? yeah. glass. Yeah. yeah. You can actually design that as part of your tables when you save them too. So actually you can say written by Stevie Stroh and, or created by Stevie Stroh and then you know, name whatever the table is. So you okay. can throw some graphics up there too. That's cool. I don't know if this would make a good game on challenge. There's some game tables built in that you could make, as say, as part of the challenge. But uh, I think the challenge, if we ever did this as a challenge game, Ken, this might be one challenge people to come up with their own board for everybody else to play. Like maybe do a two-week thing where you announce and that if people design their own and boards and the following favorite, week, submit them all, and then people can go and try them on, and then maybe have a vote or something. Yeah, I noticed that the table changed in the middle of this game. That's... Right, because you scrub through it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's my, that's usually what they do. Oh. So, and it supports up to four players by looking at the scoreboard there. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Kind of yeah, reminds me of. Here's another one. Of, uh... You want to see another one? So there's a, hand, just... a handful of elements, and then you can just kind of drag and drop them where you want them. Yeah. And you can test it before you save it. Just you know, make sure it doesn't get to be see impossible. See if it's, if it's playable or whatever. And you can see you've got the ones where you have to punch out the four things and you get a big bonus if you get all four of them, four sets, et cetera. So. Pinball Factory. That is neat. That is really neat. I have not seen that before. I have. I actually had made some tables, too, and I probably have them saved on a disc somewhere, but uh, I'd kind of forgotten about it, to be honest. So, yeah, I maybe wanted to come up with a game challenge, do something a little bit different. Like we've talked about sometimes doing adventure games and stuff as a kind of a side game. Yeah. Uh, this, this, I don't know if this would count as a full game or maybe a side game along with something else too, but uh, designing tables and having people compete at them or maybe live streaming during the, the live stream, you know, for the first 10 minutes, we're going to play Nick Marenti's design table or whatever. Yeah. And, yeah. Okay. And that's it for the game on news this week. All right. And how much newsy news do we have? Do we have a lot? A fair bit. Not not a ton. Well, it's kind of a medium size, I guess. All right. Well, does anybody need a potty break? I would say, if you're talking to us, Ron, we can't hear you. You're muted. But I would just say, let's just roll with the news. And anybody needs to, to take a... The, What's that, Ron? Do you want to see the Enter magazine? Yeah. Oh, you got one? Sure. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, Ron. Okay. Oh, yeah, Children's Television Workshop. I never heard of this one either. It's pretty cool. Oh, so it's a multi-platform magazine too. Man, there must have been a lot of these I didn't see. I remember Compute, Computers with the exclamation mark. MTV on it. review IBM's PC Junior programming the Atom, Apple, Atari, Commodore, IBM, TRS-80, and TI. 
Wow. When hey, a robot. Been... It looks like he's getting his drink from one. Yeah. Is that Scott Bayo? That's Scott Bayo, eh? Scott Bayo's cousin. <laughs> uh, no, that's cool. What's the thing next to his left hand? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Is that a radio, a boombox, or something else? Dog. Or is he petting a robot? Isn't that dog? his easy, easy, easy boy, lazy boy chair extender thing arm yeah. that you have flatten the chair out? I'm not sure. Could either be the back of like a little boombox, or maybe it's meant to be a, a robot dog he's petting. I'm not sure. It, oh, maybe. It looks like it has a handle like you can carry it, but it has a flexible neck. It doesn't look like K9 from yeah. Doctor Who, but could no, be. Not quite. All right. Simon's telling us he's got to go. Take care, Simon. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you for a good show, guys. Yeah. Good to see you. Yeah, thanks for stopping by, Simon. Yeah, it's good to see you, mate. All right. Bye. Beard's going good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's just go ahead and run with the news. Let me go ahead and just switch the scene here. And we're going to go ahead and just go to our news segment. I'm going to skip the intro and just go to the scene. We are now in. Oh, we are? Okay. Yeah. We are ready for news with Al Curtis Boyle. If anybody's got to go to the potty break, you don't need to raise your hand. You don't need a hall pass. Just by all means, just you know, yeah. Let just it go. Don't go to don't go to uh, the bathroom while. Right. Just make sure you press that's the mute button. That's all. Just hit the mute button. <laughs> take off the body mic. Uh-huh. All right. Yeah. Take us. Take us. Take us away yeah, with one, news, Al Curtis. One streaming catastrophe was enough for the show. Yeah. Right. Okay. And this is hey, I'm excited talk- about. Yeah, we talked about this earlier. So one thing about the Coco BJ is that all the extension, the additional stuff aside from driving a BJ monitor, which is fairly easy, you just plug it in, is that a lot of these things required some machine language utilities or programs to do like reprogram fonts, change palettes, et cetera. So a basic programmer had to load in these assembly language routines. And sometimes, you know, for a person that doesn't know assembly language at all, that's not the easiest way to do it. So what he's been working on, Brendan, the guy who created the Coco BJ, is actually adding extensions to basic so he's adding some new keywords to basic so you can just program in basic you just load m this little basic extension then you have this available to your program <clears throat> now he's released the first i don't he kind of calls it a really early beta so it's almost an alpha at this point which actually adds in eight commands um requires a 64k coco one or two because it needs it in all ram mode to patch basic for it so if you have 32k or under it will not do this um but basically the commands he's added so he's added v reset which tells the Coco VJ to reset to power on default. So if you get something going wonky or you just want to make sure you're in a stable state uh, where you know what state the machine's in, you can just run the V reset command and resets the VJ. He's got V palette, which will change registers. Now, the way these commands work is that you have this reserved 512 byte page and you set up certain things on that page and then you tell it basically on a vSync to flip over and do it and you lose a vSync. Which means if you're trying to do palette animation, for example, you can only do a palette change every second frame easily uh, if you're just doing a palette command. So he's actually got a special option on the palette command besides setting which palette number you're changing and what value you're changing it to. He also has a flag to say, do the palette change immediately on the next vSync or store them up so you can actually enter in a bunch of them, which you can plaster through on your basic program really quick. And then you, on the last one, you would set this flag and say, yeah, now update all the palettes at once. So this way you can animate like six palettes in one V-Sync rather than if you're doing it the other way, you'd be doing six different V-Syncs, which would slow down the animation quite a bit. So it gives you a lot more control over it. So that's a really cool thing. And I, if I end up implementing the palette command on Nitro Stein level one, I think I'm going to follow his 
his lead on this one because I was trying to think of a way to do that too. And this is actually a beautiful way to do it. So basically if you put a comma zero at the end of it, it says store the palette change, but don't activate it yet. And then you can you know, do up to eight, nine palettes at a time. And then you tell them last one, you do a comma one, now change the actual hardware to update the palettes and it does them all in one shot. So you can get much better animations and stuff and, and faster palette switching. Um, another one he's added in is V artifact. This lets you turn artifacting off so you can just get the straight green or white, or you have options of three different kinds of artifacting. You do pure four color, like the older versions of BCC did. So you just get black, white, or red, and blue. And then he's also got eight or 16 color using six tap filters, et cetera. It's kind of like MAME and the newer versions of BCC does. So you can pick which one looks best for the game you want to run. So like Daggerath, you may want to run in a pure black, white, or microbes like uh, you know, Tim and AJ did. Or you may want the full artifacting with a bunch of you know the yellowish, purples, greens, and all the subtle ones you do. So it supports all that. You can actually set that in your game or whatever you're writing just to tell it right off the bat. My game's designed for pure black and white. So just switch it over to pure black and white mode. The person doesn't have to specify their own or hit the buttons. You can actually have the game itself tell the VGA do it. So that's really cool. He's got V border, which allows you to change the border color. Um, now, one thing that Coco VGA has by default, when you change the mode of the screen, it'll usually print a little overlay saying you're in SG6 or you're in... Oh, nice. The you know, quiet that turns that off. You can now shut that on or off. Yeah. Okay. So it's beautiful because that's one thing that was a little bit annoying for me. It's nice to know what the program's doing, but I don't really need it on the screen when I'm trying to play mm. games or something. Especially if you have a game that switches modes. <laughs> it's right. really nice. uh, another one he's got is uh, V Load Cares. This lets you load the custom font, which is really cool too, because then you can just tell it to V Load it. You don't have to figure out a load M or anything special. It's just part of basic, load in an alternate character set type thing. Uh, there's also V Scan Lines. We'll scroll down because uh, we can't see it now. So scroll down a little bit. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm just reading off my notes. So Okay. No, you went too far. Go back up. Oh, here's my font. font. That's what I'm on right now. Okay. Well, no, the the top of the page had all the things like as bullet points, right there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now you're on V scan lines, which is uh, that's a feature of the Coco VJ with a button you can press. There's a couple of the buttons yeah. where you can switch between artifact modes and border modes and simulated scan lines on and off. So now that feature is software controlled instead of hardware switch controlled. Yeah, which is really good if you're designing games for the Coco VJ. You get to pick what you want it to visually look like. And the scan lines, of course, it does every second line is black, kind of like a regular NTSC TV did back in the day. Now, yeah. one thing I'll mention on the V font here, it's actually got some extra options. Um, you have font selects between the original 6847, the original Coco 1 VDG, which a lot of the older games like Protectors 2 used. Mm -hmm. You've got the T1 lowercase VDG, which has the character shifted, but adds lowercase, etc. Those are built in, so you can switch to those anytime you want. And you can also have a third one that you've loaded yourself, and you can just switch between them okay. whenever you want. Um, and that would be like the one you did for Cabal. Okay. Uh, the artifact, we talked about a little bit already. That changes the artifacting modes and the different color sets. The border, we talked about that as well. So you can do standard tile border. You can do a full border like the T1 VDG. You can disable the border so it's always black. This is Nick Morandi's favorite thing on the Coco VGA. Uh, and you can also override it with custom border colors uh, with extra palette slots. And uh, the quiet mode, once again, you can tell it to delay updating the actual display until you've got a bunch of things set. If you want palette changes and the border changed and blah, 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 you can tell it, defer all those until I got them all set up and ready to go, and I'll change them all at once. Okay. Elo cares, of course, that's for loading in your fonts. Scan lines we talked about. V-Width, this actually just lets you change it between 32 and 64 column mode. 
So that's just a simple basic command now to do that, just like a width 40 or width right. 80 is on the Cocoa. So I'm just wondering if in a future update, if you can flash the um, flash to firmware, if this will be built in as a basic extension when you power up your Cocoa VGA or if you have to hack it every single time. Because I, uh, I, I think if you did a 16K ROM in a disk controller or something like that, yeah, maybe in the disk controller. Oh, but you can't, you can't, you can't bake this into the... Extended basic and, a, and basic, the 16K that those two ROMs take is completely full. You don't have enough room to add all this. Right. No, I'm just, I'm just thinking that if it was built into the Cocoa VGA chip, but that chip doesn't really touch the ROM banks or the ROM no, extensions, no. so you couldn't it just, just you couldn't, VDG, you couldn't bake no it into there. Things. Okay. All right, scratch that thought. Um, yeah. no, that's pretty cool, though. Um... So it does have some known bugs. You'll see on the bottom there. This is the right, very first and and I'm already thinking ahead of the the palette command, and uh, because what I did to get multiple colors of things is I had to use some of the eight colors in um, in in our semi graphics things to create like eight different versions of the same thing. Now I could you know conserve a lot of of custom fonts just by palette hacking the same image for different screens and stuff. You know. Um, and and you get to specify the red green and blue values for your colors so instead of it just assigning us like you know when you're doing like palette slot one comma 63 how we do in cocoa 3 basic the colors are not just numerically sequenced there's different values for the red green and blue so yep, you kind of have to you have to specify all those but then you could kind of play with that and you could even do fades like so you could bring yep. things up and fade in and fade out um, you know, so that a lot more granularity in that regard. So, yeah, when we showed the video last week, when we was first talking about this, and he actually had a little demo that just did the border or the background color and the foreground color going between the grays. One was going like from black to white, right, 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 from white to black, and he kind of crossfaded right, between right, the two. Right, right, right. Was showing that technique. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. And like I said, I I've been trying to figure out a way for Nitro Nine Level One because I did do you know some sixty four column patches and stuff for it. But I didn't really figure out a good way to do it because you had to like pre-populate this 512 byte area and then tell it to do a special thing to tell the Cocoa VGA to now act on whatever settings you've done. I hadn't figured out a way to really cleanly do something like this where you can have complete control when these settings get done. Because that way I was trying it, everything was immediate. But it eats an entire VSync every time you have to let it scan for one frame that 512 byte page to make any changes to the, the mode or the colors or whatever else you're doing. So it was always slowing things down because basically you lost 60th of a second while it was updating the Cocoa VJ every single palette change. So I was changing like eight palettes. So that's eight times two, 16 scan lines worth of CPU time gone doing this. This is a much smarter way, which I wish I thought of back in, back when I was working on it. But if I get back to that ever, I'm going to have to implement it this way. This is a really nice way of doing it. Yeah. Anyway, available for download on his site. I think it's up on Facebook as well. Uh, for those of you that have Cocoa VGAs, uh, play around with it. Um, obviously, he's got some bugs he's ready listed. If you find anything else or any suggestions for him, uh, just reach him on his website. Next up, uh, Fabian Rodriguez has started another Cocoa Facebook group because we don't have enough with all the ones no. Ron's made. I know. <clears throat> so he's done one for basically Cocoa people in Canada. So he announced that on the regular Cocoa group there. And then this is the actual page itself. And it accepts both French and English, because we do have a fair number of Cocoa people that speak French. And uh, of course, Tony DiStefano was from Montreal originally too. So we even had some Cocoa you know, major hardware manufacturers back in the day where they were from Quebec as well. So it will cover both French and English speakers. And uh, there's not too much on it right now, but uh, 
it's an alternative, I think, for some of the people up in Canada here, where we seem to be in Ontario and Quebec, you can still get Cocoa 3s at affordable prices like we discussed last week. All right. Extra that. Now, I didn't cover any of Robert Seek stuff last week because he even himself admitted that, you know, things weren't quite working the way he would have liked. But he's actually done a little bit more on it. So he's uh, working on improving stuff here and he's starting to get the colors down. Now, the text is kind of hard to read on this particular mm -hmm. sample image, but he's starting to get the colors working the way he wanted to. As he mentions in the original comment here, he says, but what I really wanted to share is that it appears that the output using HDMI created a near perfect circle at 640 by 384 meaning the non-real pixels are two times one seemingly perfectly. So he's getting the ratios and stuff worked out properly. And some of the colors are actually starting to show up correctly too. So we still got more tweaking to do, but he's actually made some advancements. Yeah, and yet the cyan, yeah, your color ball pattern there looks pretty close to the right colors, right? Your cyan, your green, um, some of them do anyways. Yeah, that's cool. Next up after that, Sheldon McDonald uh, has released his Sega PSG. Now, the PSG, that's Ed Snyder, Zipster Zones, mm -hmm. uh, multi-card. So it does joysticks, um, sound generation, ROM flashing, all kinds of stuff. And Sheldon McDonald's uploaded a PSG diagnostics disc that you can get off of his website called Sega PSG. Um, you can see a picture of this little GUI interface we talked about on the show before where you can create little graphics and then you have flashed ROMs of various games and you can design your own little graphics. You just move the joystick around and select it and click it and launch that particular ROM pack. It's um, making it kind of like a multi-cart with a GUI. Yeah. So for those of you who have not seen it before, this is kind of what it looks like here. So you can see like here's an and drone one he made. Here's yeah. a Pegasus one. Here's Clowns and Balloons, uh, Downland, etc. So you can just create them all and then you can go through and try them out and then the diagnostic part here and they, actually this was being used by some people to use some of the uh, you know six button sega genesis controllers and stuff and be able to read the buttons to read the actual directions you're hitting on the actual you know up down left right joystick part of it so it's a good way to test to make sure things working correctly and trying some compatible controllers to see how well they work as well and uh, so anybody who wants to fiddle with this kind of stuff and has a PSG, you've actually got some software you can use to test your controllers. I know some people had mentioned in the comments earlier that some of the controllers weren't registering everything quite correctly. So they were figuring out some cheap, you know, Chinese knockoff of the controller cloned didn't quite function properly. Okay. Next up, now this was a huge discussion on Discord this week talking about the unused pin on the RGB connector um, and what was the function because there's some deferring parts of various technical manuals etc saying it's not connected doesn't do anything but you know on some other technical reference it was actually referring to the fact that something was hooked up to it and uh, I remember this was getting discussed back in the day that this thing they thought might be a way to detect that an RGB monitor was plugged in because the voltage would change if it had been hooked up properly to actually read back that if you have RGB plugged in. So it could have been something like games or the basic ROM could have said, ah, I see you've got an RGB monitor plugged in. I will make sure the pallets are all set to RGB. And if you don't, you could have set it all to composite by default. That actually didn't end up happening. Another thing that Mark Siegel had mentioned, because he was trying to remember what this was about too, is that it may have been just a, a power on thing. So if you turned your cocoa on and if this pin had hooked up to the monitor and the monitor supported it properly, it would have automatically turned the monitor on as soon as the cocoa turned on because mm. it could have detected that too. Now, uh, Rick Eland, were you involved with these discussions? I can't remember if you were part of that conversation. You're muted. 
That's about how much I know about the subject. Mute. So the, okay. mis- the mystery is being presented, but has the mystery been solved, or is it still a mystery? No, it's still a mystery. Uh, Pedro kind of goes through some of the theories, and also he did some actual readings of what's coming out on that pin on this video. It's six minutes. I don't want to play the whole thing here, but uh, maybe I'll play a little bit just to kind of give you a, a bit of background on it. Better explain Earlier than I today, read. somebody on the uh, Coco Discord server had some questions about what the pinout was in the connector on the bottom of the Coco 3 in order so that he can make a cable to use his RGB to HDMI adapter. Um, there was some back and forth and then we came up with this as a guide. Everything's good, fine and dandy. We've labeled each pin, we know the orientation. There was one pin, however, we could not find the function for. And so it was asked, what is it for? Uh, a couple of people went out and looked around and investigated. And Which pin is the mystery pin? Is it pin 10? Or? In the manual, and, pin yeah. 10 is described as a sense pin to know so that the Coco knows when there's a CM8 monitor connected to it. Someone else went and looked at uh, the code in one of the Unraveled uh, books and saw that the pin itself is never set as an input but rather is set as an output and so hmm interesting let's start making some measurements um, I took out a voltmeter and saw that the pin is at 2.5 volts never at zero <clears throat> and I started playing around and uh, starting some programs and under some programs it would jump to 5 volts under others it would stay at 2.5 what the heck is going on? I don't know. Um, so we started chatting and there were some theories thrown around. So I just wanted to, you know, put a little video together uh, just describing what I found. Uh, hopefully it can help somebody figure this out. <clears throat> now, Pedro actually is in the chat right now. So, mm-hmm. Pedro, if you want to pop on, you can probably explain this a lot easier and, and more accurately than I do. <laughs> as to what you discovered. So if you want to hop in, feel free to. But... Uh... He kind of goes through, and he actually does some of the measurements. I'll just forward it a little bit here, so kind of see. He goes through some schematics, what what everything's labeled as. It's interesting that it sits at two and a half volts, because that could be a one or a zero, depending on if you stuck a little resistance on there. So it's kind of an indeterminate value or a one. Yeah. Because what he's doing here is he's like He's actually setting like the color set bit here on the VDG, and that's when it kicks up to five. Is essentially 2.5 volts, and I'm going to run it. Oops. When I run it, it goes to 4.92 volts, which is essentially. Doesn't that volts. pin go to a PIA? It goes back to 2.5 volts. If you look at the schematics uh, for the Coco well, Three. That well, pin got... one of the things they discussed was the fact that it, its purpose as an input or an output, because of course in the PI you can change direction, is well, you can change to totally different. Yeah. So actually, Pedro said he'll try to to get on here. So I, like I said, I'll let him explain a lot better. I'm not a hardware guy, so okay. Um, so I'll, I'll leave the video up here. I'll just go on to the next story. But if he manages to make it on, we'll have him actually kind of talk about it in a bit more detail. 
In the meantime, we'll go on to the Taylor and Amy show, and they actually got their MC10. They got their SDX32 SD, so they've got the uh, SD card reader and everything else, and they have a video going through it. Um, they surprisingly like the keyboard a fair bit, and then, of course, they got the computer archive in the background. They downloaded a ton of software to try on it. They actually only tried basic games of them. They haven't tried some of the assembly language ones like Pac-Man and uh, Flag and Bird and some of those others, so they should definitely try those in the future too. But let's play a little bit of the intro here. It's a 24-minute show. You should definitely go catch it. Hey, Amy. Hey, Taylor. I got a new computer. What? A new computer? How new is it? It's so old. <laughs> it's the Radio Shack TRS-80 model MC-10. <laughs> and I'm kind of in love with it. It's so cute. It's a, it, it still amazes me that there were computers this small back in the day. Because we, we didn't personally have them. No. I would have loved something like this yeah, and, but if I, mean, I had known it existed. I was going to say, and good thing we didn't know about it. So this sold for like 129 when it first came out, and then 79 bucks. Looks like it's got a little solder burn on there. Somebody melted oh, something. Oh, you got to see that. That was a cable. Oh, uh, okay. It came out Ooh. to compete with the Sinclair Timex 1000, which is the American branding of, of the ZX81. Mm -hmm. um, placed on top of the computer. And when you put the rubber that's on these old cables next to the plastic that contains the, mm. the computer, it eats into it and Love. so show them up close you can see that it has some cosmetic yeah. damage mm. it's like like dissolves like from, yeah. from where the, right. from where yeah. the wow. so they, and you can see there are the cord i mean you can clear wow it like <laughs> melted its way into so there like on the one yeah. hand i'm like oh it's got some cosmetic damage but on the other hand i've got proof that no one touched uh -huh. this thing for decades long they didn't even to, jostle the box yeah the, long enough for it to melt the itself cord stayed in one place so, like the coconut I, cup there, huh? It coconut. still yep. has its warranty. The yeah. seal has not been broken, so it has not been opened. Not, not yet by us. And it also anyone. came with. Oh, here's my brand new shiny, shiny brand new thing I don't need. Um, it came with this manual that I just adore. Um, it gives you an introduction to. Oh, there's a quick reference card. And how to connect yep. it to a TV. And then it really goes into Microcolor Basic, which mm. is the brand of Color Basic it has. Um, so, so we're going to use this. Um, <laughs> important customer information. <laughs> that's there. And I got this startup guide, wow. which I really like because it, it has this. Um, that's really good. All yeah. the basic commands. I would... Yeah, and Radio Shack for the Coco stuff actually had a color basic one, mm -hmm. the 8K ROM basic, and they also had an extended basic, which Ken showed earlier. Yeah. That actually has highlighted in gray all the extended basic commands. So, and uh, there was a third party that put out a bunch of these too that actually had like the little graphic symbols and stuff too. That I'm trying to remember, they used to always have an ad in the first couple okay, pages. Okay, Ken's holding something color. up. Is that the extended basic yeah. one again, Ken? Here, I'll, I'll stop sharing so you can show that there. Yeah, that was the Nanos card. Yeah, thanks. That's the mm -hmm. one I was trying to remember. It had the magic numbers on it that uh, no one knew what they were for. 
Yeah, and they made it for multiple platforms, like the Model 1, the 3, the 2, the Coco, et cetera. You know this reminds me of, too, is I made cool. stuff like this as, like, Dungeon Master guides whenever you were playing, like, Dungeons & Dragons. You'd take a poster board and make your fold-out to put all your stats and tables and stuff like that in there. That's all your reference stuff, you know, so... Um, yeah, cool. So they get it up and running, and then they kind of go through the Coco SDC, or the equivalent of the Coco SDC, the SDX. Oh, they got one of those, too, huh? They're just jumping into this Cocoa hobby, huh? Getting some stuff off the archive. Showing off some of the SDC commands, doing a dir of the disk. Demon attack. Cool. And we went through a multiple basic programs. They haven't actually tackled some of the um, extended basic programs yet because there are some high-res games like Jim Gary has done. Um, there's also the machine language games, like the ones we have talked about earlier, like the Inyafudo stuff, uh, Fabrizio Caruso's, the Greg Dion compiled stuff. So there's quite a, a few more advanced games, too, that the, they have yet to go through, but there's a ton of stuff there. Anyway, it's a really good episode, so you guys could definitely go check that out as well. Have we had a Rocky Hill Pedropena sighting? He says he can't sign in. I'm sending you a Discord message with the Zoom link. Okay. okay. On to the next one, then. <coughs> so this one, I am going to play the whole thing. It's another four-minute video. Sh uh, shows he's on here on the participants list. Oh, is he on? Because we can do him oh, first. Oh, we do see Pedro Pena. Okay. So, Pedro, are you on-on, or are you still getting hooked up? All right, just play the next clip. We'll, yeah. he'll, he'll, okay. he'll jump in. Okay, so this one here, uh, we've been covering um, the recreation of the Dragon Beta, which was the multi-CPU, high-res graphics, MMU, all kinds of things added in. The, the really high-end Dragon that was actually in pre-production. They were actually had some hardware ready made, and then Dragon shut down, so the entire project got canceled. And... Uh, John Whitworth has been trying to recreate it off the original motherboards from Dragon Data. So they've actually gotten the graphics demo that was originally written for OS 9 Level 2 for the Dragon Beta, uh, which runs in a 640 by 512 8 color mode. And they actually had some graphics stuff in there done. Now, it's a little bit buggy. It wasn't quite finished before Dragon shut down. But it has stuff like drawing circles and paint commands and stuff like that, too, which will be demoed here. But it's actually got some fairly advanced stuff like scaling and angling and stuff that we don't have on any of the basics, including basically nine. So I thought I'd play this just to kind of show you the demo that was originally done by Dragon themselves. The driver wasn't quite done yet, so there's some little glitches here and there. But uh, it's pretty interesting to see how advanced they're going. It's not the quickest thing in the world. It wasn't optimized yet. But there's some stuff in there that's pretty darn advanced. Especially that floppy load. <laughs> right. um, Palette animation. Yeah, fonts. And remember, this is 1984. This is two years before the Cocoa 3 would have been out. Okay. We got like some geometry shapes and whatnot. Yeah. It can be rotated. Uh-oh. Yeah, you can set the origin point and the rotation, and it'll automatically update the graphics there. So if you tell it to shift the start point over, everything moves. Yeah, the draw command could do that, but only on like four, four, you know, four directions, not on a radial. 
you know. So it's like yeah, you, like here you're doing you could, X, Y, Z, yeah, now you're Z. Yeah, we got the whole CAD CAM thing going on here. Yeah, literally. Example of scaling, rotating, and translating. Okay. Okay, so that looks like a rotation. Pretty quick, in my opinion. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, on, oh, it's on the actually outline... it's kind of like it's getting smaller now too, as it's rotating, right? So. Yeah. And you can rotate around the axis, so it will kind of invert it. What is it doing now? Now this is using showing get put, but with angling and everything else too in rotation. Okay. So and scaling. Yeah. And you can do angled text. Wow with colors added on to this can produce strange results it says okay that's like, like your sideways uh yeah, right. asking for the time okay paint that's... now this is what something like we've sped up the paint routines and nitrous nine quite a bit past this which is what the original mm. tandy version did but the nice thing about the paint here is you can tell it to stop at a specific color or at any color different than the color you're painting. So you actually have a bit more control over the paint. Okay. Hmm. Like here you're telling the stop, you know, when you hit black, for example, and then they have other ones where if it hits anything. Oh, neat. Some sign graphs, some pie charts. Eat your heart out, Excel. Right? So. <laughs> <laughs> and now for the grand finale. Dun, dun, dun. Dragon 128. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, it's going all around in circles. Look at that. Lord. I don't know if I can handle this. Not just circles, but perspective. Yes. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. An angle. Oh, yeah. I'm getting like the 3D... And my understanding is, is this is just a basic nine program using their new graphics library. So it's just basic. And you can do fonts on top of fonts and all kinds of stuff. Man, that is wild. Yeah, this this was pretty darn advanced for that, that time. Absolutely. It's more advanced than I could do now in any level of basic myself. So uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so I mean, uh, that's what's what could have been if Dragon hadn't gone under right at the time this was getting done in mid nineteen eighty four. We need a new soundbite. Tell me why I I I I did Dragon go under? Do 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 do. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Alan Huffman, we need that. <laughs> Get in the studio. So Pedro, are you on enough to be able to talk about the? I'm on, but I don't know if anyone can hear me. Can you hear me? We can, yeah, hear, we you can now. hear you now. <laughs> yeah. Well, nice. I will stop sharing and uh, let you speak. All right. Well, 
Uh, okay, I wasn't expecting this. So yeah, from what you saw there, pin 10 on the RGB port there, uh, goes to the PIA. And uh, although in the manual it says it's a sense for the Coco 3, um, it's never really uh, an input. It's always set to an output. So that was like, oh, well, let me go back and look at the schematics for the Coco 2. And that same pin on the PIA is used uh, by the Coco 2 and it goes to the artifacting circuit. Um, and just, you know, I mean, I don't really know what's going on there as far as the code goes, but uh, it was interesting to me that um, whenever there was a game uh, that used a certain uh, mode, uh, that pin would, uh, would turn, you know, go high and go low. So maybe that's a remnant from uh, the Coco 2 days that was just never touched. Um, that was used, uh, you know, to kill the, uh, to kill the artifact, or, you know, I guess, I guess it would turn off uh, one of the phases um, uh, to, you know, to, to mess with uh, the colors that are being displayed. And, and that's what I found, and that's what I saw, and I played certain games, and uh, I, I think I played, uh, I think it was Frogger, and I think it was, um, uh, what other game, uh, one of uh, Nick's games, Nick's games that I think was just using, was not using any sort of artifacting at all, and it always stayed down at uh, 2.5 volts, which is, although it's a TTL high, 2.5 and 5 volts is a TTL high, uh, it was a low state on the PIA. So I wonder if it's just in the high color set because you had two. Every screen had a high and low color set. So like your text mode had the green and the orange. The right. orange was high. Your um, P mode three had the green background or the white background and that was lower high. And then your P mode four had the green background low and white white background high. So I wonder if it's just saying if it's like the, what do they call that the CSS set or something it is like the that? CS line. Yeah, color select. It's, set. Yeah, color select. Set. It is the color select line. Yeah, I wonder if it's just that if it's telling you if it's, if that's in high or low. So if it's in the yeah, I mean, I think it is that, and uh, it was just, I guess, never implemented, and I thought it was just another case of the hardware and, team not talking to the software team. And then the uh, in the live chat, David Lord just said that in the CM8 manual schematic, it shows pin 10 not connecting internally to the CM8 at all. So the yep. CM8 wasn't even listening for that pin. Right, right. Unless it was oh. just in a cable that was shorted. Right, so, so you take could it to short ground. it in a cable. You know, in the end of the plug or something. So that's what I was thinking. You had a cable that had, you know, a resistor on there. And I think, um, I think Alan brought it up. Uh, you know, it, it, yeah, AC's Abitone brought it up where, you know, if you could just short it with a resistor, uh, you could detect when a cable is connected. And that's great because it's a generic uh, sort of connection uh, that would let, you know, the Coco know that there was a, an RGB monitor connected mm. instead of having the circuitry. In it. You know, uh, you know, that's a theory. You know, we don't, we don't know for sure. Um, but in any event, it was never set as an input on the Coco, right? It's still an output. So um, that, to me at least, looks like a pin, that a general I.O. pin that can be used. I think, uh, oh, uh, yeah, uh, Dave Phillipson uh, pointed out that it probably wouldn't be a good idea to use it as an output um, uh, for graphics reasons, for, you know, the Gimme X's stuff. Uh, but it could probably safely be used as an input. Uh, so, I mean, I think that's a, a good candidate uh, for a pin that can be repurposed for something as, you know, something like, a, you know, an RTC or something, external RTC or, you know, something, you know. Uh, anything, yes. Anything. Mark Siegel pointed out that, you know, he was showing, he, he, he put on uh, some links to some, you know, some chips um, 
that you can interface single wire like I2C, I squared C, and single wire RS232 um, that could be used uh, on there. Stuff like that. I mean, it's it's uh, it's definitely available for something. It's not being used. So is this kind of like the Coco's appendix? It's the organ that's not really been used, and you, you, you if you remove right. it, it doesn't change anything. And right. <laughs> they had the spare pin, so they just took it off in case they ever thought of something to do with it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not used. I mean, there are a couple of other pins on there on the same guy that are not used, but I mean, those are uh, like we're pointing out; those are set uh, whenever, and I guess in uh, uh, BDG mode. Now, David Lord is saying that pin 10 reads 2.5 volt only if the PIA is configured as an output. So if you configure the PIA as an input, then that changes the voltage on that pin 10? Well, it'll go, if you, if you switch it to an input, I'm imagining it'll go up to, uh, as a, to an input, it'll go up to 5 volts. But, you know, at, at that point, you know, it's just a 5 volts high, you know, via a resistor. You can drive it down to zero and you can use it as a, you know, a, a you know, you can use it as TTL, a TTL input. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Guys and it, it looks like it probably was planned to do something different. And there's been some speculation, like you guys were talking in the discord of it being a monitor select or some monitor sense pin to see if the monitor's plugged in or to turn it on automatically if it was fired up. What, what's your thoughts on any of that? And, you know, not knowing that it never was fully implemented. Oh, to be used as a as an output to turn the monitor on either that or just to sense if the if the uh, rgb is plugged in to something so that right you could set the pallet say in basic on boot to rgb values instead of composite yeah as a detection i think makes more sense uh to use an io pin for that because uh, then you you'd have to be reading something right you'd have to you can read a state for example as an output uh it, for a monitor to detect that the uh, Coco is powered on doesn't make sense because you wouldn't need a pin for that. It'd be a waste of a pin. You just, you know, at least what I would do is I'd have, you know, just five volts on the pin. When Coco's on, you have five volts. And oh, okay. Coco's off, you have zero. Hmm. It, you know, that's the way I would have done it. I, I, I think as an output, unless you were sending some sort of configuration information, <laughs> who somebody, somebody was saying maybe it was spitting out an EDID or maybe it was reading for an EDID, uh, looking to read an EDID or something like that. Uh, is it? Was it Robert yeah. Allen Murphy? Yeah, I think he was saying he read the needed information off of it. You know, like an HDMI monitor or a VGA monitor or whatever. Did they have um, unique monitor identifying information back then in the days of the CMA and everything? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. I think back in the day, back then, uh, although you had the same pins for that, uh, I think it was more, or I think there were two pins, what are used now for the I squared C communications. But you could have four combinations of those pins that were detected to see, you know, I guess the resolution of the monitor or something like that. It was mm. more of a, you know, a fixed mm. combination of voltages, but they were repurposed later on to send EDID information, I think. But this is the ultimate waffle because connected to a PIA, it could do anything. And since it puts out either two and a half or five volts, it's always high, I think. So, yeah, it's 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 for future use. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So is it part of the evolution of the cocoa? <laughs> <laughs> Let's distort it. Yes. <laughs> this so one goes to eleven. Uh, so it's either an appendix, right, like right. a vestige, or it's evolving. It's evolving. Something it's, that it's, doesn't really have a use yet. It's the third eye, the one that third sees eye. all. 
Yes. So, um, okay. <laughs> Interesting. It's okay. for 3D. For 3D. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was I was just kind of wondering too. Maybe that was to. That's why we don't have the 256 color mode because we don't have that extra pin for the larger palais. So. Or could turn the plane graphics on or off yeah, or something. Okay. You know. <laughs> okay. Anyways, it was, it was interesting. I, I remember hearing back in the day that people had noticed, like Kevin Darling, some of the people when the Coke 3 first came out, they did notice that this pin seemed at, like it should have had a function but wasn't quite working, and they, they thought it was a monitor to detect at the time. Um, yeah, interesting. Okay. Maybe it was um, a plan for RGB composite, but because the, the CM8 didn't have that pin wide into it anyway, they figured, well, forget that idea. But the function, the capability yeah. is in there, but it never got used because the CM8 wasn't designed properly for that pin. That would have been neat though, because like you could get audio to the CM8 through there too. But if you could have gotten, but see, the whole reason why you bought the CM8 was because it was RGB. But if you could have been able to switch to Artifact like some of the Magnavox ones did, mm -hmm. um, and be able to see some of the artifacting and stuff if you wanted to, that would have been a neat feature. But the yeah, Coco like Three, the NTSC one, it boots up automatically to composite palette when you fire it up, um, and maybe it was meant to detect to see if you have an RGB monitor and then boot and to then RGB change palette. It otherwise, because currently, even if you have an RGB monitor, as as most people have, right, it doesn't it NTSC doesn't boot defaults to composite automatically still. defaults to composite palette. Right, which is wrong. Right, right. And so that would have been nice. The, that was meant to be the correction to that, but it didn't work because the CM8 wasn't built to do that or to to okay. use that pin. So yeah. that was a dead plan, or maybe, but became a dead feature. Okay. Could or be. maybe you know, if you had a monitor with both RGB and composite input, uh, it could tell the monitor to switch between the two automatically. You know, if mm -hmm. you wanted to see something with artifacting. The monitor would just uh, automatically know that I needed to switch to composite input. Yeah, that would have been cool. Like, I, yeah. my Magnavox yeah. 8515 does have both, and I leave them both plugged in because I switch between Coco 2 artifacting games and, and you know, Coco 3 RGB style games. But I have to manually punch that switch every time. So that right. would have been a good idea if they'd gone. Yeah, that, uh, that would only be done if it was a custom made monitor by Tandy, right. which the CM8 was, but. Yeah, they, they balls it up there. <laughs> <laughs> I love these Australian terms we get every once in a while. I'll write that one down. Well, uh, I, think it, I think it's the whole, why did Tandy do that? Probably because this was cheaper. Uh, right? Yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it was an interesting discussion. It was, if anybody wants to get into the real technical details that everybody was coming up with theories and tests and stuff, that even go beyond the the video that Pedro put out. Uh, check out our Discord. There's a huge long discussion ongoing about it. So, and it's all hardware stuff. So it's over that's in the hardware head. channel. Yeah, and I think we I think we created a brand new channel called the CM8 uh, RGB uh, pin, pin ten channel. Pin ten connected yeah, pin, channel. Yeah. Not to be confused with the ten pin channel dedicated to bowling fanatics. This is the <laughs> pin ten channel. Uh, and, and it'll soon be split into two channels. You have one if you're setting it as an output pin, another <laughs> one for an input pin. Right. And, if, and if you can think of some more channels we need, there's an actual channel that's called Suggest More Channels Channel. So, uh. yeah. And by the way, Mark, that's not a request, so don't do that. <laughs> now, an idea for anyone who's looking for a uh, hardware project that uh, 
you know, they've got some spare time. Use the pin to control a blinky the light. Uh, brightness of the RGB output. Ooh. Then you could, uh, via software, set up all your colors to be half brightness, uh, which, which turning it on and off, you can actually have more colors on an RGB monitor then if you're hmm. controlling it a bit with that extra pin. Oh, I see. Kind of like the go. intensity thing that the TTL RGB on the PC. Sort of, yes. Yeah, sort of like the intensity pin. Interesting. So that that will give you a few more colors that you could turn on from software. That's not a bad idea. Yeah, you go. I'm always full of bright ideas. Yes. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's why he's got all the Ferraris and we... <laughs> full of something. Yeah. <laughs> full of Vegemite. <laughs> yeah, that's let's black. go with that. Close enough. <laughs> Same color. <laughs> or, or swill, as I would call Vegemite, but anyway. Okay. And, so and we... Mr. Dave says, confirmed that this was a brilliant idea that Nick just had. So there you go. There you go. See? Somebody else is smart out there, too, <laughs> besides Nick. Checks in the mail. <laughs> Checks in the mail. <laughs> okay, are we done on that one? I can yeah, on let's, move, let's move on. Let's I move on. Step out. Okay. I have to uh, clean up a dead possum, apparently, in my yard. All right. That's good. <laughs> that's that's one of the best excuses to leave the program so, that I've ever so, heard. You know, soak, <laughs> it in some, soak it in some moho sauce for a while and make some great roadkill stew. So, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always have Moho in the cab in the pack. That's it, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take Talk care. <laughs> Bye. Okay. Thanks, Pedro. Okay. Back here. So this is an announcement for uh, the Retro Computing Museum at Cambridge in the UK, Center of Computing History Museum, which is where the Dragon Meetup was uh, back in November. So they're doing one now called the 40th Anniversary our 40th birthday retro festival. And this is basically covering machines and, and kind of highlighting machines that were released exactly 40 years ago. So released in 1982, which happens to include the dragon as well as some other things. So I will play this kind of a commercial for it. So any of our UK watchers here that can make it to Cambridge. And it's actually coming up pretty quick here. It's actually on May 21st to 22nd. So it's the week after Cocoa Fest is here in, this, in the States. And that upside down acorn looks like an Easter egg. Over the guy's left shoulder there. Looks oh, yeah, like it looks him. like a Ukrainian uh, Pasanka. Uh -huh. So I'll play the commercial here for it. All right. Mark May the 21st and 2nd in your diaries for the 40th Birthday Retro Festival 2022. I don't have a diary. Exhibition taking place at the Centre for Computing History in Cambridge, England. Celebrating the 40th year of some of the most amazing home computers released way back in 1982, including classics from Sinclair, Commodore, Acorn, and many, many more. The event will feature exhibitors from the retro computing world, including friends and colleagues such as Binary Dinosaurs, the 6502 nerd, David Williams, Loud Scott's bloke, and even event organizer, <laughs> Large Scott's bloke, that's his name? Large Jeff Scott's <laughs> bloke? Oh, and of course myself as Wi-Fi Sheep. But that's not all. There will also be the Centre for Computing History's amazing in-house exhibition content and hands-on displays for what is going to be an absolutely fantastic day out. We really hope you can join us on the 21st and 22nd of May 2022 at the Centre for Computing History, Cambridge, England, 
full details including tickets and pricing, see links at events.wifisheep.co.uk. Okay. I wish I could make it out and see that retro Purial, Purial uh, hand sanitizer uh, dispenser there, the Purial. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how, how, I can't talk today. Never mind. That's okay. <laughs> but that, that, that would look like it would be a fun show. I wish I could get out there for that too. But uh, Yeah, that is. Someday like the, I will make like it out there. That's that. roughly the week after Cocoa Fest. Uh, or maybe exactly the week after Coco Fest. Coco Fest is 13th and 14th. It's yeah, a week later, 21st and 22nd, right? So Saturday and Sunday. Um, May 20th. And that's just before my birthday, which is on May 24th. So uh, I would love to. Yeah. Some, someday we'll make it out there. I'll have to take a Coco contingent out I'm there. I'm still then. waiting on my Interpol ban uh, to allow me to do international travel again. Though I haven't gotten clearance to do that yet. So uh, cool stuff. I told you not to do those drug deals online. <laughs> <laughs> and then what I didn't have in the show notes, but uh, it came in late because I just found it this morning, was uh, Alan at AC's 8-Bit Zone did uh, installing a cooling fan into your cocoa. Okay. Which is uh, fairly long. And this used to get done a lot in the old days because the old 512 cap grades in the cocoa 3 especially ran quite warm. And if you went up to 1 meg, uh, the original versions of 1 meg before they went to Sims, which ran a bit cooler, but, you know, stacking a whack load of chips in there to get it going. Uh, we had a huge fan in ours that uh, worked there, the one that Bill Noble put in, installed. And uh, that thing was loud. Like we were trying to cool off 32 sets of RAM chips. So it was just terrible. We even had to carve a little bit of hole in the case to fit everything. So I'll play a little bit at the beginning here, but you can definitely go check it out on this own page here. Hi, this is AC. Hey, I like that shirt. Zone. If you've ever watched my <laughs> channel, you'll know that I'm always dabbling with old 8-bit retro computers. So today I have a Color Computer 2 that's running hot and I'm going to use a DC to DC switcher and power a, a small 5 volt fan and it's going to cool this the, the main board off and the power supply considerably. Now you can apply this to virtually any old 8-bit computer. Uh, many of them ran hot, some of them hotter than others. Uh, they often had lossy power supplies, so it was common for the uh, transformer to be in the case or to, you know, to have losses from uh, a linear regulator that's in, on the main board. Uh, you'll know if, if you have that situation because uh, you may see some, uh, some darkening marks on the plastic case. And anyway, this is a machine that I'm going to be doing a lot of testing with testing, uh, swapping boards in and out, and testing lots of chips in this case. So I want this one to run cool, and I want it to last for a long time. It's already almost, is it 40 years old? Uh, it's, it's close to 40 years old, and uh, I'd like it to go for another at least 10 or 20 years. So cooling it down will help it considerably with its lifespan. So, again, you can do this on any machine, uh, whether it's an Apple or a Commodore, Atari, TRS-80, whichever. And uh, you can apply this, a similar technique to this to almost any of them. So, let's go ahead and get started. I would like to have placed it here and pull in the cool air. Pass it over the... Now, we'll mention the case of Bill and me at the work machine. We actually installed it on the top part of the case. So we kind of glued it up and cut a little bit of the plastic mm. supports there under the mesh. Right. Yeah. 
That way you get the natural. Yeah. Oh, you had it blow down rather than go up. Oh, sorry, blow up. Yeah, from the yeah. Like you, want, you, want, you want the natural heat rising to you know be assisted. Yeah. Where he talks about how hot some of this stuff. Gets. Almost touching the. I think that's the salt chip. So I'm going to move it. I'm going to back it up just a little bit. Well, that guy's got a custom-colored uh, space bar on his melty keyboard. Okay, there. there's lots of yeah. room. Yeah, he had a video where he 3D printed that to replace the Between the, the fan battle. and the ICs now. So that should be good. Okay, there are a couple of diodes here that might be good. Okay, there's minus 14 volts. Mm -hmm. Minus 14. <laughs> These large diodes are 12.3. blowing the air out? This one is also 12.3. Yeah, you might be blowing it underneath the keyboard camera. I didn't get a chance to fully watch this. I just kind of. Yeah, no, I just thought it's not actually getting the heat out. He's well, there's vents. You can see here on this, this screenshot, there's vents on the bottom. So if he's blowing it down there, it'd be blowing it out underneath the case. Pressurizing the case, yeah. By sucking from the bottom and pressurizing the case, so you will get exhaust someplace. <laughs> Those little DC to DC adapters are cool. You can buy ten of them for ten or eleven dollars. They just got a little turn screw on them. You can just dial them down to what you want. So I'm going to let this warm for about ten minutes, and then come back and uh, and get a measurement. Did he ever do a before measurement? Yeah, the before measurement was 60 degrees, almost 60 degrees Celsius. Okay. Is that on with that the lid on or off? That's just the one, what is it, the part of the power supply there, that part that gets really hot. Rick, you need the transistor with the heat sink. Yeah, because he said that was going up to 60 degrees. Right. Minutes later. Okay, and I'm back. That was about 20 minutes of runtime, but I could tell before I even walked away that this was a good improvement because just touching it, it wasn't even getting warm. Even now, well, it doesn't have a VGA chip in it. Okay, <laughs> the the heatsink pins are cool to the touch. Yeah, They're actually not... about the temperature of my hand, maybe cooler. He's got to have the lid on. And the transistor itself is slightly warmer than my skin. So, well, I mean, we really don't even need to get a mess. Sorry, you guys are discussing. Go ahead. I was going to say, there's an interesting thing that I've read about the cocoa. It runs the power supply hot to pump convection cooling past all the ICs. So you're deliberately hot in the area of the power supply, the back of this photo. And that causes the air to rise and go out of the top vents, which pulls air from the bottom vents past all the chips to the hot spot by the transformer. So you're kind of sacrificing the voltage regulator to keep the CPU and the RAM cooler without using a fan. That's nice, the passive cooling, basically. Okay, so I didn't know that. It, it seemed very sophisticated when I read it. I don't have the reference in front of me, but 
Could be. I mean, it seems okay. to work. Okay. I'm sure Alan can comment that he was in the chat earlier too. So I don't know if he wants to pop on, maybe talk about this too. If he has the time to do so. Okay. So what's the final temperature after he does this though? And there's a lot of comments saying that this should really be tested with the lid on and not in open air like this too. So. Okay. Now he's got the. Now he's putting the lid on. I don't know if you actually want to display maybe teams. But let's just see for fun. 26 degrees C. So it's so kind of cut it in that? half. From 60 or 62 degrees C down to 26. Almost a I third. I mean, barely above. Yeah, so you lopped off 40 degrees Celsius, which is 104 degrees Fahrenheit. <clears throat> as long as you tested before and after with the lid off, you're going to assume similar results. Yeah, the lid on. creating an airflow, which is blowing over the regulator, but that that air can escape out of the open top cocoa. He needs the lid on and, and, and to work with it that way. Looks where you, like where the got, air doesn't escape so easily. Looks like he's got the high performance space bar installed. Yeah. If, if the air escapes so easily, Nick, though, it shouldn't be running at 60 degrees with the case off like he did earlier. Yeah, but it, the air is stagnant by having the fan there. He's creating a flow, so there's air moving. So whatever hot air is coming off the regulator, it is moving it away and therefore out of the case. Put the case, the lid on, that hot air still stays in the case. That's why you've got to have something that blows that air out or that helps the air out. Oh, you're saying if the case is on, it's just going to circulate within the case and not Yeah, the case. yeah. With the lid on, the it's, air it's, in the case isn't being circulated with the as it is with the lid off, or not well, as much. It does. It does. Air does yes, still escape out. It would of the be more lens, efficient if it. It's yeah. reduced. Yeah. Right. Okay. Now that makes sense, and that's how most modern PCs how they have to handle. Um, cooling is that the case has to be completely sealed and you have your intake yeah. and your exhaust and the whole stuff like that so um, but yeah so I don't know if, if we hear the final verdict what he did when the um, um, with the with the lid on but yeah I guess what we'll the way and Mark Siegel in the chat says uh, Nick is correct so he's agreeing with you on that too there you go. So, yeah, Nick, listen, Nick is always right. We should always we should always just know that Nick is always right. There's, there's yeah, and he don't... always tells us that too, just in case we forget. So, <laughs> should put smoke down below and see if the smoke comes through and comes out. Right, like kind of how they do the aerodynamic tests and stuff. Yeah, he did say how this is going to be a test unit for that he's going to be taking chips out of in and out of all the time. So the case will probably be oh, yeah. off of it most of the time. So just have a, a normal fan blowing over the cocoa. Right. And it'd be interesting, like, if he's got the equipment, like a thermocouple measuring device or something, to actually measure it with the case on just to see what kind of a difference it's making and where is the actual heat flow going. Um, he was in the chat earlier, but I guess he must have had a subway because I haven't seen anything from him. But I'd love him to pop on and maybe just kind of talk about that. Maybe he did test that, just didn't record it, the video. I'm not sure. Or, or found, what his thoughts are on that. I found the best place to put a fan is on the back of the cocoa right behind where the transformer is and blowing the air out from there i've got a cocoa 3 that does that mm -hmm. it runs cooler than my cocoa which has one of those modern ram upgrades uh this one doesn't have that and yet it runs cooler than that machine does anyway that's because you're blowing the hot air being generated 
by the power supply and the regulator area straight out straight out the back yeah like i know in our case we uh the the ram was so tightly compressed there's two satellite boards of ram over top of each other for the one mega distal the original one and that was running even hotter than the transformer area was so we put the fan right there under tony's yeah. recommendation and that because when we, we had one time where the fan actually got unplugged by accident the machine would crash within like five minutes yeah and it was the ram not not the transform itself that was causing the problem but that's a special case because nobody sells ram like that for the coco threes anymore it's just ridiculous you no, got no. static ram and or even the older sim ram is much much cooler okay that's a pretty pretty good pretty awesome video and uh he does his professional style video stuff here but yeah i'd love to get a follow-up from him after listening to you guys talk about it who understand what you're talking about unlike me uh let's see what his thoughts are on that that's you the know, end of the news for today. End of if you don't news. plug it in, it won't get warm. That's right. Now, Mr. Dave says you need to preheat your cocoa before turning it on. So is it you preheat <laughs> it to 450, <laughs> and then uh, what's going on? To preheat the cocoa before get turning it on. Get some ketchup. Rick, you saying the flow is under the keyboard, over the circuit board, and towards the power supply. Over the river and through the woods. Uh, hottest thing being the regulator pass. Uh, okay. Transistor, yeah, the, I guess? Yeah, yeah the pass transistor there one of those two things will be the hottest thing and air will rise up from them okay so everything that is fed before that is cooler that's kind of the idea all right all right um i now nick i don't know if you were if you joined us before when we you did so we were talking about project updates and acquisitions and and then we talked about how you sneak peeked your game is there anything else that maybe you needed to tell us nick uh, not really. I mean, I'm. It's still early days, so anything I say may change next time. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's the fun though, because then we can actually finally say you're wrong about something. No, that'll never happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Alan finally responded. He says, "No, I'm still here. This this way pulls air from under the case, across the hot spots, and then out the vents on top of the case. I suppose Nick believes that air can only be pulled and not pushed. Okay." Uh, oh, that might be a, maybe you're wrong, Nick. I'm not sure. Well, so. you can push air as well, but I mean the, the way that he had the fan, it wasn't really pushing it or pulling it even in the right towards a, an output and an exit. Okay, I have an exit that I push air out from from time to time. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we do not want a live demonstration. Of that. <laughs> no. So um, I just want to plug. To, um, and so if anybody who's tuning in late, when I talked about my project updates and acquisitions, um, or, or my whatever, I, I mentioned I'm, I'm starting a side project, which is a, a new podcast, audio-only podcast that is based on pop culture. Um, but I want to plug two guests that are going to be coming up that um, hopefully people might want to tune into. So I'll just throw this over here real quick, and then we can maybe put this in the live chat too. But... Um, the new podcast I'm doing that is an audio-only podcast about pop culture and basically anything. It's an open, it's an open door where we can talk about whatever we want. So that's the podcast you can look for. It's called Culture Goes Pop. One of my first interviewees is going to be uh, somebody who I met here locally in in my part of Florida, but is known internationally for his dozen or so albums. But his name is Mark Barnes, and is um, his website, which I'll put in the chat, is called markbarnesmusic.com. So I'm definitely looking forward to interviewing him about his musical career. Most of his music is kind of new age. So think of your um, 
kind of Yanni, John Tesh, a little bit of Enigma st- style stuff. Um, and he's even offered to for me to use one of his tracks as uh, maybe an intro music to the podcast. So I have to, you know, so I, I have a bunch of his music I'm kind of going through now and absorbing. So this will be a, an interview coming up hopefully in maybe May. So check that out. And then another interview that um, I'm really looking forward to is so um, the guy who I do the podcast with, Scott Wilson, we went to a comic book store down here in South Florida called Past, Present, Future Comics. And we thought, wouldn't it be cool to interview people who run a comic book store, right? Because they sell comic books, they sell collectibles. And it just so turns out one of the, the co-owners of this place, his name is Justin. He's not only going to talk about running the comic book shop, but he's also been running a podcast based on the horror movies and films and stuff like that for six or some odd years too so uh, we're going to get him on and i think just based on the kind of pre-interview conversation i have with this guy it's going to be radio gold because this guy is so interesting to listen to and talk to so i'm really looking forward to having other things to geek out on in addition to the cocoa that will hopefully be of interest to us here on the panel and the show so just kind of teasing a couple of upcoming interviews that will happen probably starting in may um, and I look forward to anybody who wants to be a guest or suggest a topic to talk about. We're definitely going to be talking about video games and new computers and old computers and stuff like that. So that's all I have to say about that. Um, anybody else have anything you want to say before we press the button on this? Get your questions ready for the Terry Steen interview in two weeks. Terry Steen in two weeks. Yeah, we'll run that one more time. We'll run the Terry Steen uh, promo. Hi, this is uh, Terry Steen, author of uh, Coco games like uh, Grey Lady, Balloon Fire, Gunfighter, and uh, Miss Pack. And I'll be on the uh, Coco Talk show live April 23rd at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Hey, this is uh, Terry Steen. I'm the author of a bunch of Coco games like Balloon Fire, Grey Lady, Gunfighter, Miss Pac Man. And uh, I'm going to be on the. Uh, Coco Talk Show on. Uh, I knew I was going to screw up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, maybe we should just cancel the whole thing. Um, Take two. Hi, this is Terry Steen. I'm the author of uh, a lot of Coco games like uh, Balloon Fire, Gray Lady, uh, Gunfighter, uh, Miss Pac-Man, and uh, I'm going to be uh, on the Coco Show April 23rd at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. We're not the Coco and, Show. Uh, We're Coco Talk. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, that's a different the show. show today, <laughs> Third time's the charm. Model 3. And I got one for a Model 3, and I don't know why this is brown. Oh, those are the, um, is that the extended warranty thing? No, these are all um, quick uh, guides. For oh, the, oh not the, um, the uh, uh, yeah, what do you call it? Quick yeah. reference. The quick reference ones are different yeah, computers. Here's yeah, here's one for Model 4. Quick reference guide. Yeah. And then the, there's these things who... Who are made by um, Nano Systems Corp. It's a basic assembler guide. Let me uh, let me spotlight sucker. you for a second here, Ronnie. Oh wow! Look at that thing. Jeez. Yeah. Lord have mercy. Right. Man, that thing folds like a map. Yes, it does. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, that's the quote unquote basic assembly guide. And yeah, was there ever an advanced assembly guide? Yeah, really. <laughs> uh, and here's the other side. Wow. It almost looks yeah, like... Yeah, they, they had a Coca version of this one, too. Yep. Wow. It's amazing. Starting to remind me of that Harry Potter map. I solemnly swear I'm up to no good where you see all the stuff moving across the screen. <laughs> I have two of them, and they're... One's uh, slightly green, and one's... Maybe it's just faded. I don't know. But anyway, those things are cool. 
Absolutely. Do you have the Coco one, Ron, or no? Yeah, well, I have the Coco 2 one. Oh, no, I don't. Not here. I'm probably out in my observatory. That's I need cool. to get all my stuff Oh, so Taylor and Amy are still out there. I don't know if you heard me earlier, too. I was hoping that I could maybe re-air your interview uh, that we did with you guys on this show on that podcast, and I don't know if you guys want to help me record a new bumper for that or if you want to do a new interview to talk about some new videos, but you guys are a hoot. We'd love to... Um, have you as another interview or at least i want to re-air your your interview we did with you guys recently to a whole new audience and get you up to more some, some more subscribers there too um cool stuff anybody have any parting thoughts parting words words of wisdom words of good advice bad advice not here <laughs> no. all right we'll take that awkward silence as a big fat no <laughs> Um, Push the button, Frank. Well, I do want to. I do want to say one more thing too. And if you caught us last night, um, uh, they say they say we are game. That's awesome. That would be awesome. And I think like uh, the uh, sibling rivalries would be another good one to do, and things like that too. Um, so we did a test uh, stream last night of a kind of scaled down version of doing the show, and that's kind of addressing a concern that. I have of really having a backup to the backup because if, if I can't stream, our only backup right now is Mark Bosley and he's only one person and we don't really have a backup to him. So um, the service that we use that is Restream, it has a studio built into the browser that's all browser based. So it's not quite as fancy in how all the features we have here when we use OBS and Zoom and two screens and lots of horsepower to drive it. But for a browser based way to run the show, we have a plan C, and I'll work on trying to tweak it to make it as flexible as, as possible. Oh, Nick Marotta's there. We have a Nick Marotta signing. Hey, everybody. It's one. It's not only. It's the one and only Nick Marotta. Yeah, it's, um, it's called Culture Goes Pop, and the website is um, culturegoespop.com. But if you just search for Culture Goes Pop, it's already on Amazon Music, and it's on Apple Podcasts. Um, it's almost on Google. It's on Spotify, a few places like that. Uh, thanks for asking, Nick. Um, but yeah, what was I going to say? So yeah, we, we, I'm working on a, 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 an alternate way to stream the show, which would be great if um, you know if we have if we have a, a, uh, you know we have a situation where it's an emergency and the, the 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 main dude and the backup dude can't do it. Literally anybody can log into there and stream the show. So we did a test on it last night. There's some cool features. There's some things about it I like. There's some lack of flexibility that I don't like, but for being all run through a browser, I think it's a great option for us to have a backup way to run the show. Um, so that, I'm, I'm excited about that because that's always given me some stress. Just knowing, God, what happens if, if Mark, what happens if I can't do it and Mark can't do it? We, we're screwed, right? So uh, there we Dude, go. You're excited. I'm excited. Ooh, I'm like <laughs> I'm like David Ladd with a, with a new floppy drive. <laughs> yes, oh my. All right, we're going to skip the outro. Um, final no, thoughts or just goodbye, everybody? Push the button, Frank. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Oh, 